BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Tell you the story that caught my eye today. Uh, we'll get to Kyrie. We'll get to the Super Bowl. It wasn't those things. It was the story about Jaden Rashada, four-star quarterback who essentially went from being one of the poster children, and I mean that with all respect, for this ridiculous era of name-image likeness. College football's drunk. I don't know if you've noticed. It's intoxicated. I don't need a breathalyzer. It's uh, wobbling. It can't keep a straight line. It is uh, unable to... Uh, Repeat the alphabet forwards or backwards. I don't know. I'm not law enforcement officer, obviously, but I'm looking at this recruitment story that The Athletic had today, Stuart Mandel and uh, Andy Staples. By the way, two guys, two guys during the Pac-12 championship football game who were on the media bus with me as we left the stadium in Vegas late at night. Now, I'm going to tell this story, and then I'm going to get back to the football player because that's how my brain works. But essentially, you know, these bowl games and these conferences and these teams care a whole bunch about media until after the game. And, and I mean that like, like I would, too, if I were them. They uh, do a nice job in making sure all the right media get into the building, have a seat. Uh, they feed you. Uh, you know, they set out a buffet dinner for you. They give you all the materials you need. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous how easy they make it for media members. And then after the game... Uh, like literally when the game is over, uh, you mean nothing to them, you're dead to them, and the media shuttle sometimes doesn't even operate. I've been locked inside a stadium in the Super Bowl. It's not the Pac-12 that's guilty of this. Everybody's guilty of it. Like after a Super Bowl one time in Houston, they locked the stadium gates about an eh, hour and a half, two hours after the game ended, forgetting that there were a whole bunch of media members up in the press box. And so a bunch of us came down after – filing our stories and our columns and we're walking down and we come take the elevator we go down to the gates and we realize we are locked into the stadium now the stadium gates uh sometimes go 15 or 20 feet tall i don't know if you've noticed like some of the newer stadiums and it's a security measure so nobody can climb in but also nobody can climb out it's way too high uh, a couple of us looked at it and said, I think I can do it. But I looked at the other media members and went, that's not going to really be fair because I'm going to get out of here and they're not. And so we spent about a half an hour trying to get a hold of somebody who could come back to the stadium and unlock the gates. A similar thing happened after the Pac-12 championship game. Uh, after I filed my piece, uh, my column to johnconzano.com after the game, Utah beats USC, confetti falls, uh, Cam Rising, everybody's smiling, Kyle Whittingham's never paying for a meal again in Salt Lake City, all of that happens. And then the media people for the Pac-12 go home, and the shuttle that is supposed to take media members back to the media hotel on the Strip, and for people who don't know, Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas is on the other side of the freeway. Like, you can't walk it. If you could walk it, this is no big deal. But you cannot walk to the stadium from the Strip. You can't. Uh, you know, without any any kind of help. And by the way, we're uh, in the pitch black of night, and we walk out of the stadium, and there is a shuttle parked there, and we all get on it, assuming it's the media shuttle. It was not. It was the employee shuttle for Allegiant Stadium, which took us 
way, way, way miles in the opposite direction than where we were supposed to go and opened the doors and said, have at it. This is it. This is the last shuttle. And we said, wait a minute. Aren't you going back to the Strip? And they said, no. Andy Staples and Stuart Mandel and about three other members of the athletic college football staff are standing there. I'm standing there. They don't know what to do. I very quickly, because I'm a problem solver, figure out I'm going to get an Uber, and I'm going to get it from right here, and I was able to secure one pretty quickly. And, oh, when my guy showed up, he had a minivan. So I said to the guy, how many people can you fit in there? And he says, how many people you got? And there was like seven of us. I said, all of these bozos. So Stuart Mandel, Andy Staples, all of the athletic staff, they jump in with us. Guy was a great sports fan, gave us a ride all the way back to the strip. Problem solved. And I thought about it today because they filed this story on Jaden Rashada, this four-star quarterback who basically comes from nowhere. And, and I don't mean he comes from nowhere. I mean, he's a kid that people knew, you know, when he was uh, in high school in California and identified him as a pretty good uh, prospect. But he wasn't Dante Moore the kid out of the Detroit area that everybody wanted, including the Oregon Ducks. This was not one of the Manning kids. Uh, Rashada was just a good player. But the, the interesting thing happened where Miami came forward, and Miami's been throwing money around in this NIL deal, uh, in this NIL world. Miami came forward and apparently offered him $9.5 million to sign uh, an NIL deal. And... Miami was only one-upped by Florida, which offered him $13.85 million over four years. Basically, come play college football for us and make NFL money. $13.85 million, four years. It started with a $500,000 payment up front, and uh, this deal was uh, basically, uh, you know, for a college player, and was a little bit less than the Steelers paid their first-round draft pick, uh, Kenny Pickett, so who was getting $14.1 million uh, over four years. Now, the Gator Collective in Florida is interesting because it's not the preferred collective of Florida, and it appears to have been uh, operating on its own accord. And the 19-year-old kid, who was really struggling, apparently, if you read the story, it's a really good read, but the kid was struggling, understandably, with sort of the expectations and the pressure, and he flipped his commitment from Miami to Florida, and then he went to the Gators game against South Carolina, and he cheered with fans, and and uh, then came the unthinkable. After signing day, after he committed, uh, Florida and that collective basically said, we're not paying you the deal. And he ended up having to ask the NCAA to rescind his commitment letter he is now apparently headed to Arizona State. He's got no NIL deal. And I am left thinking about college football being intoxicated and the teenagers, and yes, they are teenagers, even though they're really good football players who are caught in the middle of this thing. It is messy. It is uh, troubling. It is problematic. Um, I understand why some of you have joined collectives and made a donation of 50 or or $100 to be part of the you know, Damnation Collective or the Cougar Collective or the Sun Angel Collective or, or Andrew, I even understand like why Phil Knight and his pals have put together Division Street and, 
And instead of 50 or or $100, they're putting in 500000 or $5 million into it. I get it. I understand that there's an arms race going on in college football. But, you know, I'm fresh off a trip. But this weekend, I, I flew out to Salt Lake City to, uh, to see Utah play Cal in a basketball game yesterday and meet with some sources there in the Pac-12 and talk about what's going on in the conference. And NIL keeps coming up. NIL, NIL, transfer portal. This is problematic. This is done. We've seen a college coach over the weekend basically say, hey, t- you know, these teams are buying players. It's not like the old days where they were being bought under the table. This is all being done on, you know, uh, out in the open, in plain view. It's really problematic. And, and frankly, you got kids like, uh, you know, this player that uh, Staples and Mandel wrote about who are, who are caught in the gears of this thing. Rashada's deal with Florida was supposed to pay him $250,000 a month as a freshman. It would escalate to 291000 a month as a sophomore, $375,000 a month as a junior, and then as a senior, he'd only get 195000 a month or so. He got a residence in Gainville. All he had to do in exchange for all this, by the way, was play football for four years at Florida, uh, have at least one branded Twitter post and one branded Instagram post a month. Uh, he would do uh, uh, eight fan engagement events per year, including in-person appearances, social media engagements, video conferences, and interviews. None of these would last longer than two hours. He could also autograph 15 pieces of merchandise per year. This is a great deal for Rashada. I understand why he signed it. I understand why his parents were behind it. Because if your kid got offered the same deal, you would go, hey, this is life-changing money. Who, you, know, you may not play in the NFL. You may not have a great college career, and you're going to make as much money coming out of high school as an NFL first-round draft pick. Can we get the rails back on college football? Can we get college football itself to step back? Even the haves, Alabama, Georgia, Texas A&M, even the college basketball programs who are doing this maybe better than some college football programs, can we get it back on the rails? Can they acknowledge as they look around that, hey, this isn't great for the sport. This isn't great for... Uh, you know, competitive balance. This isn't even great for the kids. That poor, that kid, Rashada, he ended up with a no deal and headed to Arizona State. Uh, he switches from Miami to Florida. He swaps NIL representatives. You know, a bunch of legal matters here. The Gager Collective is probably going to get sued. Arizona State is getting a quarterback, but they're getting a quarterback who's been through some stuff and he hasn't even had uh, the benefit of a college education. I used to say, don't let school get in the way of your education. As kids went from high school to college, I would write it every time. Like we, uh, a kid that I knew would graduate from high school, I'd, you know, we put a check in the in the envelope and we'd say, hey, you know, here's a word of advice. And I would, you know, basically get your eyes open and understand there are things that the world could teach you that you're not going to learn in school. And this, I think, is the an education of a lifetime for Rashada and for people of his age. Everybody's concerned about this. You know, we're watching coaches like David Shaw who are looking around and going, hey, I can't compete in this transfer portal NIL world. He's a really good football coach. He was a benefit to Stanford. Uh, Kids were better off because they played for David Shaw. NIL in the transfer portal had David Shaw realize, hey, I'm looking at 3-9 and every year. Or 0-12, worst worst of all. Losing all my best players to other schools. So if that kind of world is a world that you support fine have at it go root for your teams donate to your collectives and why don't why don't we just line up the collectives and say okay 
whichever collective raises the most money, you get a uh, automatic berth to the college football playoff national championship game. Because uh, this is the equivalent of a sport that does not have a salary cap. This is the equivalent of the NBA, which penalizes small market teams and says, hey, if you're a large market and you can spend more, have at it. You'll pay a tax. But what's a little money in the grand scheme of things if you're chasing championships? And what happens in the NBA? It's the same old, same old that gets to the NBA championship every year. It, there's no small market representation, not unless it's an outlier like the San Antonio Spurs and Greg Popovich. Uh, you know, the NFL does a lot right. We're watching it this week in the Super Bowl to be on full display in Arizona. The model in the NFL with a hard salary cap, with teams that are bad drafting first, with the team that has the best record having the most difficult schedule the following season. There's a, there's a lot of justice in the NFL that I think college athletics could look at and learn from. We're in a very dangerous and precarious position right now with college athletics. I think we all recognize it. I think we're all a little bit uncomfortable with it. I know you're out there and you're kind of shaking your head alongside me here on this one. But, man, if we don't get intervention from the outside, and last week we talked to uh, Senator Ron Wyden who said, you know, hey, this is something that they would look at. I think if we don't get that kind of intervention, it's going to have to come from within college athletics itself. These programs, these college football programs, are all looking at each other going, hey, we better get our collective together because the opposition is buying players. And pretty soon, what are they doing? They're all buying players. It's uh, ruining college athletics. I'm not saying kids shouldn't earn, but maybe there needs to be a cap on what an NIL collective can give to a respective university. Maybe there needs to be deferred compensation. You can get an NIL deal, but uh, it has to go into a fund that you can't collect until you become uh, pro-eligible or drafted into the NFL or until you graduate from college or leave or, you know, your university. I don't know what that answer is, but I know the answer is not a four-star kid who is uh, buried in NIL deals that weren't really deals at all. we got a great show today. We're going to talk about the Kyrie Irving trade coming up. Lots of Super Bowl talk. you got the bald-faced truth statewide. I'm going to give you my official can't-miss five-star Super Bowl pick coming up. I've been leaning Chiefs all week. Have I flip-flopped over the weekend? I'll tell you coming up. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I had kind of a fun story yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you read it. It's not like the most, uh, it's not the sexiest story, but it was a good, really good, heartwarming column that I posted at johnconzano.com. It's not the kind of thing that's going to get people to click on it, but I wrote about a baseball bat, and this is a story that goes back to 1971, and if you read it already at johnconzano.com, you're going to have a smile on your face as I tell the story, but um, I, uh, my dad goes around to garage sales, and he buys sports equipment. And he does this when he comes up to the state of Oregon and he visited. So I apologize if he showed up to your garage sale and he's bought something and he has occupied you by talking with you about, you know, what he's doing with the equipment or whatnot. And, and he has, over the years, collected baseball gloves and bats and sports equipment. And then he donates a lot of it back to 
youth sports organizations and schools. There's a couple schools in Salem that got giant boxes filled with baseball gloves that my dad uh, found at garage sales, and he refurbishes them, and he sends them, and he restrings them, and he uses, uh, you know, the oil, the special oil that he puts on the glove, and, you know, he turns them in back into their beautiful original condition, and then, uh, you know, we uh, get them in the hands of school kids. And so, but my dad, I think he mostly does it because he likes to talk to people, and he likes to talk sports. And so my dad was in California, and he's at a garage sale, and he says, man, do I have a story for you? And he says, I, you know, when I, I'm going to bring you this thing, you know, and he, he shows up, you know, a couple months later, uh, sends me a baseball bat. It is uh, a commemorative baseball bat, like the bats they give away on bat day at ballparks. And I wrote about this yesterday. It's an interesting story about a bat. And the lady who had the bat, is now grown up, and she was at a garage sale and was liquidating uh, her father's, her late father's, you know, equipment and stuff that he had in his garage, and she told my dad this story about the bat. My dad got her number and put me in touch with her and sent me the bat, and it turns out that this lady in 1971 was a huge Oakland A's fan, and she used to go to the Oakland Coliseum, and her, her dad loved the A's, and her dad was a Sicilian immigrant, and... The A's were her thing, and they didn't have a lot of money. They used to pay $2, and they would sit in the bleachers at the Coliseum, and they'd watch the A's. Now, the A's of the 1970s, the early 70s, were good. We're talking Vita Blue, Raleigh Fingers, Reggie Jackson. These were teams that competed for and won world championships in the 70s. But uh, this kid, and she was a kid at the time, was nine years old and used to go to the games. And she showed up, Gina Tortorici is her name, at the age of nine in 1971, Charles Finley, everybody knew Charlie O. Finley was a great promoter in baseball, he held bat day at the Coliseum, first 5,000 kids to come through the stadium gates would get this commemorative green Oakland A's baseball bat, and Gina went to the stadium, excited about getting a bat, showed up early, went through the turnstiles, and saw the uh, attendants giving bats to young boys, and she said, I'm here for my bat, and they said, we're sorry, the bats are only for boys. Gina's heart dropped. Now, I have three daughters, and I've written frequently about my kids, but uh, it was Joe Turturici's daughter that I wrote about yesterday, and Gina was pissed. She was nine years old. She's informed, hey, the bats are only for boys, and so she goes home, and she writes a letter to Charlie Finley. She's pissed. She writes, I'm nine years old, and I'm in the fourth grade, and I go to Capri School in Campbell, California, and I want to know why you only give bats and things just to boys and not to girls. I'm an A's fan, and the letter's handwritten, by the way, and I've been watching your games on TV. My dad's going to take me to a game at the Coliseum. I play baseball at school. I hope that the A's win the pennant. Sincerely, Gina. Now, Gina sent this letter to Charlie Finley, and I'll step back now because here we are like 50 years later. You know, Gina's grown up. She had daughters of her own. She is uh, working in education, and she tries to tell her kids, that, hey, uh, back in the day when I was in high school, they used to say, hey, what do you want to be, be when you grow up? Do you want to be a flight attendant, or do you want to be a teacher? 
and or a nurse. And those were the kinds of things that young girls at her age were told in school. There was no Barbara Walters yet. There was no, hey, do you want to be president? There was, do you want to be a stewardess? Do you want to be a teacher? And so Gina tries to tell her kids and other kids at the school that she works at how far things have come. But I think this bat tells an interesting story. We talk about sports being the glue of life. This bat is part of the glue in life. Because the Hillsboro Hops, I don't know if you caught this story, recently hired their manager for the season. Ronnie, I'm going to mess up her last name, Gadgenwick is the new manager for the Arizona Diamondbacks single-A affiliate. And Ronnie happens to be a woman. She's just the second woman in history to be hired as the manager of a professional baseball team. She's the first to do it at the high A classification. Uh, a woman named Rachel Balkovec was the first woman put in charge of a pro baseball club. She managed the Yankees single-A affiliate in Tampa last season. And on opening day, the home crowd chanted Rachel's name. Rachel, Rachel, I expect that Ronnie's going to get the same treatment this year at Ron Tonkin Field in Hillsborough. No bats for girls in 1971, the entire dugout under the command of a woman in 2023. Now wrap your head around that while I tell you how the story finishes, because Gina's all grown up. I mentioned, you know, she uh, works a job at, at a school. She is a court-appointed advocate for foster kids. Her dad has passed away. She's raised two daughters herself. Like, I try to tell my own daughters, like I, at the dinner table the other night, we were talking about, uh, you know, how much has changed and the opportunities. Like, I try to tell them, hey, you know, some girls just a couple of generations ago, like your grandmother's generation, they didn't get to play sports in school. Um, others uh, were told, hey, you can play sports, but only certain ones. Like, you know, and, but there are some great stories, right? Like, I tell my kids about my aunt, my Aunt Marlene. She went to college at Cal Berkeley. She became a teacher. Then she became a school principal. Uh, I have another aunt who went on to be a photographer at the New York Times. Uh, you know, Anna's mother was uh, uh, an immigrant who escaped communist China in a boat. She became an entrepreneur, owned a business, ran and operated a motel by herself. And you know, it, even Anna, a really good story as an immigrant who went on to you know be, he came to the country, didn't speak any English, had an accent, and went on to be an anchor on television news on your news so there's great stories all around but that bat burned young Gina she wanted that bat and she didn't really want the bat she was just pissed I think that only boys were given the bat now I wrote this whole story at johnkazano.com you can go read it and get all the details if you want to see it but the end of this story really is that the Oakland A's changed their policy on giveaways before the 1972 season and they were not the only Major League Baseball team to do that. That was an interesting time for those of you who are old enough to remember it. Title IX was coming in. Uh, there were a lot of different viewpoints that were coming in. But Gina did get one of those green baseball bats. And my dad did encounter her at the garage sale. And I wrote, laid the story out. I just think it's a wonderful story about how far we have all come. Now a woman managing the Hillsborough Hops team. I wonder if they'll have a bat day out there. Leave it here. We're going to talk Kyrie next. Who won that trade? Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
Who won the trade? Who's the winner? Who's the loser? LeBron James definitely disappointed the Lakers didn't trade for Kyrie Irving. Turns out maybe Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, refused to give Kyrie Irving uh, his wish and let him go to the Lakers. But what's the cost? Dallas gets Irving, um, you know, and Markeith Morris. The Nets get Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, 2029 first-round pick, uh, 2027 second-round pick, 2029 second-round pick. Who's the winner? Who's the loser? Uh, I want to go around the room. Declare the biggest winner. Declare the biggest loser. And it doesn't have to be one of those entities. But who are the winners and the losers in this trade? Because at face value, it kind of works for everyone. But there's going to be a definite winner and loser when the dust settles. Let's talk about who that is. Steven, in your mind, who are the winners here or who are the losers here? I think the ultimate winner is Kyrie Irving. And the reason I think this is is because the Mavericks are putting themselves in a spot where if they don't bring him back on a new contract, they gave up a lot of assets for nothing for one year of Kyrie Irving that probably is not going to end up in an NBA championship unless they make some miraculous run this year. They're a really good team now with Kyrie and Luka. But I think for Kyrie, like he's been looking for that long-term contract. Brooklyn wasn't willing to give it to him. If he goes to Dallas and they just say, you know what, we're not going to give you a, another contract, I think that's that's crazy. So I think Kyrie got put in the best spot for him because he's going to get that you know monetary contract um, going forward just having put all those assets away by Dallas to going back to Brooklyn. I think the real loser, and you touched on it, I think it is LeBron. I, you know, It was kind of thought that Kyrie was the one superstar that was going to be available on the trade market that he could get for a discount. It didn't prove out that way. And it was always rumored he was going to go to the Lakers, and that's how the Lakers were going to be a really good contender this season, by getting Kyrie. And then you have Kyrie, Anthony Davis, LeBron, healthy. That team, you don't want to face that team in the playoffs. But at, you know, apparently, not only the Mavericks, there were a lot of teams that are in on this trade. The Suns offered Chris Paul and Jay Crowder for Kyrie Irving. Um, you know, there was a lot of teams that are interested in Kyrie. So you know, I think ultimately LeBron would be the big loser. But I think Kyrie, I think Kyrie is going to come out of this really well and get a new contract out of it. So I think for him, he's looking good. It's interesting too because you bring up kind of the idea that um, there was a market for him. You know, as exhausted as we all are. And we all were last week when Kyrie demanded a trade or whatnot. It, it there was a market. There was a number of encouraging places that he could end up, and talent wins in the end. It's not what we all want to hear because I think a lot of us probably feel like Joe Sy in looking at Kyrie and going, "Look, if you're not, you know, you're unreliable. You are not part of a winning culture. You have we have not been able to count on you. You have been a problem. You have embarrassed us." You know, I'm flushing you, and the truth is Kyrie Irving was the most powerful chess piece in the whole equation. Talent still wins. Peter, winners and losers in your mind. Yeah, well, to start with, both teams lost this trade. It's the very rare lose-lose situation in the NBA. I mean, you look at the Nets. Boy, if, if Kevin Durant hadn't decided to leave a great situation and hitch his career to this guy and it wasn't his choice, you'd feel bad for him. But, like, KD... Kyrie, you can throw James Harden in there, three and a half years now, that situation, they won one playoff series, so they lose Kyrie. It's cool that Spencer Dinwiddie's back, and I like Dorian Finney-Smith's defense, but talent-wise, they got worse. The reason Dallas loses this trade, look, I get that they're so desperate, they need another star around Luka Doncic, 
But uh, Stephen touching on it, they have got to re-sign this guy. I'm telling you, two years from now, when all of a sudden word is Luka Doncic is frustrated and wants out, remember this day, the day that they acquired the most aggravating, self-centered, selfish, delusional, talented superstar in the NBA. Luka Doncic has three years left on this contract. I'm telling you, he's going to get frustrated with this cat. He's going to want out. Now, that could be irrelevant if the Mavs decide they're going to do a sign-and-trade. Everyone will win. Kyrie will get his fifth year. He'll get that $200 million. The Mavs can get an asset or two, and uh, everyone can go on their merry way. But I don't think this ends well for Dallas either. Let me ask you this, guys. Yeah. If Kyrie, and the question always is, every team thinks they can fix him, and he's going to come in, he's going to be excited, he's going to you know fall into line. If he does, let's just say he actually does this time, is this Mavericks team a contender this season with Kyrie and Luka Doncic? Like, I think that I think that's a really good squad for the top two players. They're good, but I think they could be really dangerous and interesting. I think they could win any series, but I can't see them getting to the finish line as the winner. I know lost. what you're thinking here. You're thinking about, you know, is it worth taking a flyer on a team that's now 14-1? to 1? That was eighteen to one to win it all. Right. So I don't think so. But how come nobody's talking about Boston or Milwaukee as a potential winner? Was Brooklyn not a contender in the East with Kyrie on board? No, I think you're, I think that's a good point. That is a great point. I think Brooklyn they have been playing really well as of lately. They've had some guys emerge, and I do think that it got worse. I, I saw a lot of opinions saying that they think Brooklyn got better with the trade. I don't think that's I don't think no. that's right at all because Kyrie. For being a terrible person, and I don't like him personally off the court, like, I'm trying to separate that and say on the court, off the court. Off the court, I hate the guy. On the court, the dude is a killer. Like, that guy is super good. He's a Hall of Fame talent. And to lose a guy in the Brooklyn Nets like that, you're not just going to replace him with Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, that's just not going to work. So I, I Also, why does everyone think the Nets are given up because of this trade? Because I saw it more as they were giving up on Kyrie. They're just tired of dealing with it ready to move in another direction, I don't necessarily see a fire sale in their future. Is is it possible that Kevin Durant is happier without Kyrie next to him and they're telling him, hey, uh, we'll go get somebody else? I don't think so. I, th- I mean, Kevin Durant hitched to Kyrie. This is about, a big part of this is Kyrie wanting to get his money. You support it. Kyrie, I mean, Kevin Durant already wanted out even when Kyrie was was still there last year. And, I mean, now he's bounced. Katie's the last man standing. Ben Simmons, shell of himself. And look, KD has no one but himself to blame. No one should ever hitch their wagon to a guy like Kyrie Irving. Last man standing, expect him to revisit that trade request this offseason. It will be really interesting to see this unfold. As you look around the rest of the league, I mean, the Lakers, you know, it's interesting because they were sitting, I think, at like the 13th spot when this trade goes down, and you could hear all the Laker fans is quietly taking off their jerseys and tucking them away for the uh, for the rest of the year because it's like this was their hope to get that move. Uh, Steven, you brought up Dallas as a potential contender. They're sitting in the sixth spot. Look out. They're only four games out of the two spot. Is that a terrible bet at 14-1? to one? I don't think so. I think the Western Conference is wide open, and I think that's why even a team like Portland, I don't think they're a championship contender, but they're looking to buy this season – because, like, they're in 11th place, but they're only, like, three or four games out of fourth place or third place, I believe. Like, it is wide open, and I don't think anyone really trusts Denver in the playoffs. I don't think anyone trusts Memphis in the playoffs. Those are your top two teams. So I think that a lot of teams are going to be buying. So if you're Dallas, 
you kind of got to go all in. So I, I don't hate the move because as a Blazer fan, like, I've wanted the Blazers to go all in with Damian Lillard. I want them to acquire, you know, an upset player and bring him in, a star player. They never have. They've never done that. They've always just sat still and ran it back. So for Dallas to bring in a guy like Kyrie, like, yes, it's risky, but at the same time, you're bringing in a top. They're going for they're it. They're going for it. And I yeah. love that when you surround around with Luka Doncic, who I think is probably the second best player in the NBA, you bring in another top 10, top 15 guy. Like, that's what you got to do to win championships to get the talent in. Yeah, and the other thing is, look, there's nobody more excited about, like, you know, the Dallas Mavericks players might be excited. Mark Cuban might be excited. There's nobody more excited than the Dallas Mavericks fans. And I miss that for Blazer fans. I miss the days of Trader Bob taking a swing. Like, you know, he didn't always connect, but he took a swing. He went after Sean Kemp. He tried to make a move. He brought. He tried to mix it up. He, You know, he, he said, hey, forget culture and forget chemistry. Let's just get the best talent and let's buy at a discount. Let's get Rasheed Wallace in here. Let's, you know, let's put... Rod Strickland on a team. Let's, you know, he went for it. Damon Stoudemire, bring him in. So it's uh, it's moves like that that I think get the fan base energized and sell tickets and gets fans thinking about, hey, at least our ownership is trying to go for it. And I think that's missing right now in Portland. Are the Blazers going to make a move here? Trade deadline is Thursday. Uh, we've got you know three days here for the for them to make a move. Will will the Blazers get involved? Yes, uh, there it's not going to be as splashy as Kyrie or anything like that. But uh, their name is they're linked to a lot of guys, and you know a lot of that stuff is smokescreen. But when a team's being brought up a lot, even if the specific deals don't pan out, it means that they're actually active, uh, generally being portrayed as buyers. I know they're heavily linked to Jared Vanderbilt. I know that's a guy that's been on Damian Lillard's wish list since before this season, uh, along with Jeremy Grant. Um, of course, there's potentially some other guys out there, but I would expect Josh Hart to be on the way out. Nasir Little was potentially linked to uh, that uh, that Jared Vanderbilt deal. And then uh, if a team could talk themselves into him, I could even see Yusuf Nurkic going. I think that's probably less likely than the other guys, but it could happen. Now, I agree with you, Peter, that I think the Blazers are active, and I think they're talking to teams, but would it surprise either one of you? If the Blazers have come out and said, "Yo, we're buying, we're trying to make the playoffs," and then nothing gets done by the trade no, deadline, no, no surprise whatsoever. And, that's and what I, I, I almost expect that. Yeah, and that's the thing. I I have that in the back of my mind. Like, yeah, they're in all these trade talks, but when Neil O'Shea was here, that was the thing too. He was always in trade talks with everybody. Oh, I was in on that guy. I was in. Well, I need to see something proven from Joe. Yeah, Cryde. he, he did he it was, last year. He used but, to say a lot of that. Yeah, he did it. He did it last year at the trade deadline. Can he do it again when the Blazers are actively trying to add talent to the team? Here's what LeBron James said about his disappointment. Did not get Kyrie. I can't sit here and say I'm not disappointed on not being able to land such a talent, but someone that I had great chemistry with, and know I got great chemistry with on the floor, that can help you win, um, you know, championships. In my in my mind, in my eyes. Um, but my focus is shifted now. Um, my focus is shifted back to where it should be. And that's this, that's this club now and what we have in the locker room. That's these a guys quick pivot, LeBron. It's a quick pivot. Quick pivot. It don't take me long. It don't take me long. I don't, I don't get too excited um, about the possibilities of things that can be. I, I, I kind of envision myself on what it can, but I don't, I don't invest it all the way into until I know what's happening. And, and when it does not happen, I, I'm, I'm back locked in on the job at hand. So, um, you know, we had an opportunity. I think our, our names was out there. The Lakers' name was out there. We had an opportunity. Didn't happen. We move on and we we, we uh, finish the season strong. Try to try to get a bid into the postseason, where I feel 
Um, if we go in healthy, and we compete with anybody. Yeah, a little bit of a soap opera background on this. Joe Sy, the owner of the Brooklyn Nets and uh, the guy in the center of Alibaba overseas in China, uh, apparently is petty. Now, I don't mind this because I think we all have a petty streak. But um, if it's true that this, you know, that Sai intentionally said it does not matter what anybody else offers, I'm not, put, not sending Kyrie where he wants to go. I'm sending him somewhere else. If that is all true, and he basically gave the middle finger to Kyrie, I'm good with that. But guys, is that a disservice to his own organization? Or, or what do you make of Joe Sai's... Uh, reaction there. I, I kind of love it. And I mean, it's his organization. Uh, you know, I imagine this is the beginning of a fire sale. I don't know that they were going to get more talent anywhere else. So yeah, they could have sent him to the Lakers where he wanted to go, but for what? I mean, Russell Westbrook's expiring a, a couple picks that, and uh, maybe an Austin Reeves or something like that. So while I don't think they, uh, they got value that made them better, I don't think there was any other package that really would have made them better. So you know what? At a certain point, and I'm all about player empowerment, but it's kind of gotten a little too far. At a certain point, like, y- you made your bed, now lie in it. We're gonna, you signed a contract, we're going to send you where we want to. Yeah, and it's good for the Nets to do that because, you know, they didn't like how Kyrie treated them. So I don't think yeah. that the Nets didn't owe, that, owe him anything to where he wanted to go. So I have no problem with Josiah doing that. And I think you have to, look, and I talked about this last week about the guaranteed contracts that you see in the league, and I think how it sort of, um, it's it's essentially, it creates this codependency with the narcissistic star players that exist in the NBA that have been coddled and told how great they were from age 12 on and ranked and told you don't, you know, you, the rules don't apply to you. Um I also think that it's okay for an organization to say, hey, we're not going to be pushed around. That if you come play for us, we expect you to fulfill your contract. Now, it's going to hurt them, I think, in free agency maybe at some point if somebody else goes, hey, look how they treated Kyrie. But I think the the word is out with with Kyrie Irving. I think the rest of the league probably, even though they know he's talented, understands that uh, there are two things that speak the language of an NBA star player. One of them is money. And the second one is playing time or the chance to win a championship. And that's it. And the rest of it is stuff that we all value that I don't think the players in the league value very much themselves. Uh, Our big splash is coming up, uh, and we'll give our Super Bowl picks. That's still ahead. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Super Bowl coming up this week. Who you got in the Super Bowl? We'll talk about it here for a moment. Uh, also, uh, I want to. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is in the Super Bowl, and uh, you know it got me thinking. Like, who are the best Patricks or Pat in sports history? Because you got guys like Patrick Beverly or Patrick Ewing. You got Patrick Mahomes. Uh, who is the best Pat or the Patrick that you've ever seen in sports? Is Patrick Mahomes the best Pat that sports has ever seen? Uh, we'll talk about that. I also want to talk uh, about your uh, big splash that is coming up. I'll tell you the one thing that you need to know. But, guys, as I mentioned that, 
who are the great Patricks or the great Pats in sports history. For me, I'll tell you where my mind went. It went to Pat Tillman, great American, great football player. Uh, I think Pat Tillman was going to be president of the United States if he hadn't been killed in action. Like he was headed in that direction. He had that kind of personality. I think he was going to get into politics, and I think he was going to be highly electable. Uh, but we're talking about athletes. I, I have to go to Patrick Ewing. He was, uh, you know, 11-time NBA All-Star, won an NCAA championship, was Rookie of the Year, was on the Dream Team. He did not win an NBA championship, though. Zero. Shut out. Patrick Mahomes has got, you know, uh, you know, uh, NFL MVP took the uh, Chiefs to a Super Bowl in his third season and won it. And he's here back knocking on the door again. Best Patrick of all time or best Pat of all time? I uh, I thought of Pat Riley. That was my initial thought. Uh, you know, NBA player, not a not a superstar NBA player by any means. You know, he, he was an average NBA player at best, uh, but he was All-American at Kentucky. Really good player there. Five-time NBA champion as a coach. Two-time NBA champion as an executive uh, you know, he's really made Miami a dynasty down there of, you know, being a really good team year in and year out. Even when they have down years, they then rebuild and bring it back up. So I think for me, Pat Riley, if I'm going just straight sports, he might be a little ahead of Patrick Mahomes still. But I think Mahomes might be the answer uh, as the best Patrick or Pat right now. And I think Patrick Ewan would probably be third on my list. Yeah, I, th- I think it is Mahomes. Uh, Ewing is a close second for me, but uh, the anti-clutch gene, Pat Ewing had it, and that ends up costing him. And it's funny, I I was trying to think of a baseball player. All I could think of was like Pat Corrales or uh, or uh, Pat Kelly. who played. Pat Burrell. Yeah, not a Pat lot of bat. Pats or Patricks in baseball. <laughs> Pat Connaughton. How about, yeah, Pat, how about Pat Riley? He got no love in this conversation. Thinking about Pat Riley. How about Danica Patrick? Does she count? Can well, we say she's a Patrick? I mean, it is technically, I mean, their first names and last names. I guess we could. I didn't think of it that way. That's, that's yeah. what she done. Highest uh, finish of a female dra- uh, driver in the history of the Indy 500. She was third. Uh, Daytona 500. Uh, she led both races, by the way. One of only 14 drivers in, in history to have led the race. I didn't know you got credit for being in, char- in front of the race. Like, if that's the case, I would like to maybe go into the Olympics and go into, like, the, uh, the men's 5,000 meters and lead for like the first 10 meters. And then people could say, hey, he led the uh, the 10,000 meters. Yeah, for the first five, for the first three strides I did. That goes on your resume of you know being the leader <laughs> of know. an Olympic race. That's how we know motorsports is kind of sketchy. Like when we talk about sports. Now, I think it's a sport. Don't at me. Okay? I understand the drivers have high endurance. I understand that they are, they are endurance athletes. I understand that they go through a lot. And, uh, but I also, uh, Got to say that, you know, come on, you can't just say someone led the race. That's something that they track. I didn't even know that they paid attention to that. I, I count who finishes first. So we're going to go with Patrick Mahomes as the greatest Pat. Win or lose, what if he lays an egg in the Super Bowl as a dismal performance? Career peters out. He becomes Russell Wilson next season. Does does that does, is he in jeopardy of losing that? Yeah, he hasn't solidified it yet. It, it's not over by any stretch. Um, I think you know Pat Riley still maybe number one. I think Pat Riley right now with all the championships, he may be one. Ewing, you probably could put you could argue Patrick Ewing above Patrick Mahomes as well, just because of the longevity. But I think Mahomes is uh, in the clear running and uh, should be the leader in the clubhouse. There you go. Let's take it to our big splash. 
It's in football, of course. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. But the big splash. Quarterback Tom Brady, or I should I say former quarterback Tom Brady, announced his retirement on February 1st. He said today that he won't begin his work as a sports broadcaster for Fox Sports until the fall of 2024. He said he's going to take some time. He's going to learn. He says uh, he understands that when people bet on him, he wants to be fully committed. I think he wants some time off. Uh, he put it on the field for 23 years, said he loved his time in football, but Brady said he wants to be really good at what he wants at, at, at broadcasting. Uh, he has agreed to join Fox Sports as a lead analyst when the playing career is over. Um, he is uh, uh, The terms of that deal are not disclosed, but the New York Post is calling it a 10-year, $375 million contract, the most lucrative in sports broadcasting history. Here is Tom Brady at the end of the season in his final news conference the end of the season. I just want to say thank you guys for everything this year. I really appreciate all your effort and I know it's hard for you guys too. It's hard for us players to make it through and you guys got a tough job and I appreciate all that you guys do to cover us and everyone who watches and is a big fan of the sport. We're very grateful for everyone's support and um, you know, hopefully um, you know, I love this organization. It's a great place to be and thank you everybody for welcoming me. All you regulars and um, just very grateful for the respect, and I and, uh, hope I gave the same thing back to you guys. So thank you very much. Appreciate it. Now Tom Brady will be on the other side of that media equation. Uh, let's see if Brady uh, handles himself, and let's see if he follows through with becoming a broadcaster. I still think there's a chance Tom Brady goes, you know what, I'm good. Doesn't need the money. Does he need to be around football but not on the field? We'll find out. Coming up, uh, we'll play some Punch It Audio at the top of the hour. Anna will join us. We'll give our Super Bowl picks. Haven't done that yet. All of that's still ahead. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. I find it interesting to go back and listen to what broadcasters said and radio personalities and TV talking heads said when Tom Brady in May of 2022 announced that he was going to the booth. I, I want to take a moment to kind of revisit some of what was said in May of 2022, okay? Now, Bill Simmons talked uh, about the deal in general with Brady going to the broadcast booth. I think it's one of the most confusing media moments in recent sports media history. <laughs> I don't understand any piece of it, including the part that he might play two more years. What if Olsen and Burkhardt are really good together? And Tom Brady's just going to come in as the home wrecker? Also, like, you know, as, as somebody who really appreciates all the great stuff Brady did for my life over the years when I saw these Super Bowls, so many fun moments. Like this seems to be a guy that's just grasping at the next step for the really since that last playoff game, he retired. He hadn't retired. Was he going to go to San Francisco? I guess that door was slammed immediately. Oh no, wait, 
he was going to go to Miami and have a piece of the ownership and run the thing that, wait, was he going to play for them too? Like all the stuff came out about the Miami thing, which definitely there was smoke and fire, whether it was going to be, he went there initially to play and then moved in the front office or just moved right away. Then that fell through begrudgingly goes back to Tampa Bay. All of a sudden that coach gets bounced. No, Tom loved him. No, he didn't. Come on, stop. And now he's set up for this 10 year TV career after he told us how he wanted to spend time with his family. There's Bill Simmons. Here's Stephen A. Smith. Same day, May of 2022. No, not at all. I mean, you stay around football. He's going to make about $20 million, knowing him. Um, and he doesn't have to get hit in order to make that money. You know, I'm happy for him. He deserves it. But forgive me if I don't care that much. I'm interested in seeing him play this year, trying to win another Super Bowl. Yeah. And call, call me when he's in the booth. Call me when you're in the booth. Maggie and Perloff. Talking about Tom Brady in the booth. You're going to ask for the spotlight. You're asking for it. If you're taking this job, you're going to be the number one, you know, booth on Fox. You're going to get paid all this money. You're asking for the spotlight. So what are you going to do with it? Like, you can't just be this, like, vanilla, cookie-cutter, run-of-the-mill guy if you're going to be getting this huge platform with this massive microphone. It'd be a waste. It's a waste, says Maggie. How about Rick Stroud, Tampa Bay Buccaneers insider? Uh, nobody knows the game better than Tom Brady, and I think, I think the difficulty for him will be, you know, can you can you keep him from just saying this guy sucks, <laughs> quarterback man? Like I could do better than that. Maybe I should get down there and play a little bit more. I kind of I'm interested to see what Brady would be like in the booth, and I'm still not sold he's going to do it. I'm still thinking he's going to have some time here to kind of go, hey, I'm away from it. Do I really want to get on a plane every weekend, go to a stadium there where I'm not playing, a true competitor not playing? I, I think there's some problems here or some things maybe that Tom Brady has probably not experienced before. And we he is known to be a person that uh, is, uh, you know, he's a little flip-floppy. You know, we saw it in retirement. And let's see if he follows through with this. I also think he's coming in at a time when I think it was really interesting in the NFC Championship game weekend because a lot was made over the job that Greg Olson did in broadcasting and being the analyst for the 49ers-Eagles game. He was really good in the booth, former tight end. Conversely, Tony Romo, who I'm a big fan of, I think had kind of a flat performance, a weird performance in the Chiefs-Bengals AFC title game. I thought he was a little too chatty and a little all over the place. I liked him better when he was fresh off of football, telling us what the next play was and calling out things like a uh, a quarterback would. It feels like uh, somebody needs to get Romo kind of settled down a little bit back in the booth. So I'll see. I'll be curious to see what Tom Brady's going to be like. That leads us right into Punch It Audio. We got great sound today. Here we go. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Really uh, troubling story with John Morant and uh, the people who are around John Morant. Apparently, uh, some of his associates trained red lasers on Pacers staff. Um, really troubling. Shannon Sharp weighing in. Punch it. I wish Jarvis realized that he's not a thug. 
Jaw's a really Jaw's a really good basketball player. Jaw did everything he could to lift himself and his family out of this type of environment and to get away from this. And for some reason, he wants to surround himself with these type of people. Why? Bro, you not hard. That's not your life. People that in that life would give anything to be in your life. Great point. For some reason, you're worth 30, you're worth, you got a $200 million contract and you want people in the NBA to think you hood, to think you gangster, mm-hmm. because you roll with these type of people. Bro, you putting yourself in harm's way when you don't have to. Nobody looks at you, John, and think, man, that's a thug. He hood. <sighs> he down. He bought that. You not. Stop pretending. NBA investigated a post-game incident in late January after the Grizzlies played the Pacers and apparently banned some people in John Morant's circle from attending games at FedEx Forum. Now, um, apparently the Athletic is reporting that, that some of the acquaintances of Morant confronted members of the Pacers traveling party near Indiana's bus after the game that night. And uh, the Athletic reported that a laser coming from an SUV that Morant was riding in pointed toward Pacers players, coaches, and others in the area. NBA conducted an investigation. They looked at surveillance tape. They uh, substantiated that a situation arose, but they could not corroborate that any individual threatened others with a weapon. Now, Now, Blazer fans may remember the entourage or the group that was around Zebo, Zach Randolph, back in the day, the Hoops family. You know, Zach Randolph had grown up. He had a brother that was in prison. The Blazers conducted a, in, you know, a whole investigation into Zebo before drafting him. Uh, you know, I, I read the investigation report. Man, they talked to everybody, friends, family. The Hoops family was noted in there. And it, it was problematic because it was the same group of people that was around Zach Randolph when he was a high school kid and as Zebo grew up you know they just moved along with him sort of sucking off of him and the the uh, the money that he was making in the NBA and there were several uncomfortable moments involving trailblazers personnel and in fact one of them goes back to even Darius Miles who grew up in East St. Louis and and had some troubled people hanging around him too I can remember Nate McMillan, Trailblazers coach, saying that he had his head on a swivel when he left what was then the Rose Garden Arena after games because he and Darius Miles were at odds during one point of a really problematic season. And Nate McMillan said, you know, he's looking in his rearview mirror to see if he's being followed as he leaves the arena. And it's not the players. It's not John Morant. It's not Darius Miles. It's not Zach Randolph. It's People who have nothing to lose that are in their circle and feel like they have to protect or uh, show their allegiance and loyalty. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I can't help but think about the, the ties to gangs, and I know that Portland's gang enforcement team at the time looked into the Hoops family and all that. I wrote all about it. But this this reminds me of that. And then Shannon Sharp's right. Like, you know, it, it isn't that you need to stop pretending that you're a gangster. You're not a gangster. You're an NBA player, but you got some people around you that don't have as much to lose as you. And, and I think sometimes athletes in that position rise to that occasion. They have a tremendous loyalty and love for their friends, of course. But they have people in their circle that aren't under contract in the NBA, aren't beholden to NBA rules, and don't have that much to lose. Sean Payton.
Russell Wilson's not going to have his personal coach on staff. He had his personal coach with the Denver Broncos last year. The new coach of the Broncos says, no, 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 no. None of that's happening. Here's Peyton. Punch Coach, uh, Russell Wilson had a, a personal coach, Jake Keeps, in the building with access who wasn't on the staff. Yeah, I'm not too familiar with that. Right, how do you feel about um, players having their own people off the staff in the building access to players? Yeah, that's foreign to me. That, that's not going to take place here. I mean, I, I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it, but our staff will be here, our players will be here, and that'll be it. That's it. He's setting down the rules. It makes it easier, too, that Russell Wilson struggled. Because Sean Payton can go, hey, it didn't work for you, whatever happened. Moving on to the Super Bowl, Donna Kelsey, you know who she is? Her sons are playing in the Super Bowl against each other, Travis and Jason, Eagles and Chiefs. Here's Donna on the Today Show. Punch it. I'm a true fan of football. This is going to be so awesome. They've already got the first win under their belts, so this is going to be just pure joy. I mean, we're going to really enjoy this, um, have a great time. Obviously, there's going to be somebody that's going to go home heartbroken, but uh, they won't have the you know bragging rights at the Thanksgiving table. But, uh, you know, this is going to be an awesome event, and I'm really looking forward to it. Look, I think it's a cute story. I understand why the Today Show does it, but I don't necessarily think if you lose the Super Bowl, you go home heartbroken. Heartbroken is, you know, going, you know, hey, we won three games this year. We got nowhere near the Super Bowl. Pretty nice season for an NFC championship and an AFC championship. And, oh, by the way, they've already got one. Come on. Ross Tucker on the Dan Patrick Show talking about Patrick Mahomes. We talked about, is he the best Patrick of all time? Well, here's Ross Tucker talking about best players in the NFL. Punch it. I think he's the best player in the sport right now. And I don't think it's really that close. I mean, he, Dan, he started for five years. He's hosted five AFC Championship games. He's in his third Super Bowl. He has a chance to win. He, right now, is at the start of the best career ever. Now, it's highly unlikely he'll be able to have the sustained success that Brady did and or the longevity. But to start right now, nobody's had their first five years. I mean, obviously, Marino's numbers were crazy, but not in terms of championship games and Super Bowls and stuff like this. Different kind of game, though. Like, you know, it, it used to be that quarterbacks that came out of college didn't immediately start. And, you know, Patrick Mahomes got thrown into the fire after an injury. I think he had the luxury of sitting a little bit to watch. Reminded me a little bit, you know, sometimes you get guys who have a broken foot or a bad, you know, a minor injury that just keeps them out. I think there was some benefit in Patrick Mahomes starting his per- career slowly. So I wouldn't say, like, you know, the best start to his career ever. Let's think back to when he was a young player. But he's become a difference maker at that position that, you know, it's a quarterback-centric game. And, you know, is he the best quarterback in the NFL right now? I think he is. And I think I think he's the best player in this game, too. Also, think about this point, too. It's about timing as well. If Patrick Mahomes is in the NFL when it's peak Brady, peak Manning, is he going to five straight AFC championship games? Probably not. Right, like I, I mean, I know Patrick Mahomes is a really good quarterback. He's one of the all-time greats already, but the timing is really good for him in the AFC. I think. Yeah, and, and look, he has been relatively healthy, but you know, he. Uh, I remember back in college, he got hurt in college. I know when he came into the league, everybody was talking about how great he was, and uh, you know, but it was. Uh, 
it was it was him, you know, emerging as a player and getting a chance a little bit to sit and watch. Now JJ Watt talking on the Dan Patrick show as well is talking about how the how the Eagles might slow Patrick Mahomes down. How do they do it? I mean, the Eagles have one of the best fronts in the game from a pass rush standpoint, so you have to try and uh, get back there as quick as humanly possible to make Pat uncomfortable. And to, but I've always said this, and I think I've said it here multiple times, the, the great thing about Pat and what he does so well is that he'll just keep backing up out of the back of the pocket, and he has the arm strength to make any throw, and he knows that Kelsey's going to get open somewhere in that window for him, and he's going to find him and dump it to him. So even when a great pass rusher has that opportunity to get there, if you don't have the guys coming from all angles, he's going to find, just scoot his way over to one of them and make the throw. But that's what the Eagles do have. They have guys coming from every single spot, guys pushing up the middle. So you have to have, it's almost better to have those guys going high, but you have to have the middle guys pushing up the middle. Yeah, I, I think the way that you slow down Patrick Mahomes is you got to score with them. I mean, the Niners did a nice job in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago of slowing him down, but they didn't make enough plays. you got to score points in this game. Because Mahomes is going to score points. So in, in addition to what Watt's saying, you know, the other thing you have to do is your offense has to put pressure on the Chiefs. You've got to score. And field goals are not good enough. You have to score touchdowns. You have to do what Jimmy Garoppolo could not do in that Super Bowl and complete passes when you need to. But I keep thinking back to that 2017 NFL draft. You know, Patrick Mahomes was picked number 10. That was the draft where Miles Garrett went number one to the Browns. Mitch Trubisky went to the Bears at two. The Niners, Solomon Thomas at three. Uh, Leonard Fournette went to the Jags at four. Corey Davis went to the Titans at five. Jamal Adams went sixth to the Jets. Mike Williams went to the Chargers at seven. Christian McCaffrey to the Panthers at eight. John Ross to the Bengals at nine. Are you kidding me? Then went Patrick Mahomes at ten. Two picks later, Deshaun Watson to the Texans. That's the start of your first round in 2017. Speaking about Kyrie Irving, uh, Tim Legler on ESPN, he summarized Kyrie and why he wouldn't have touched the guy. When I look at what Kyrie Irving has done here now, what he has become, and look, I don't know anything about Kyrie Irving and, and his interpersonal relationships in his life, so let's separate the two between a basketball player and a human being, because I don't know, you know how he interacts with the people in his life, but as a basketball player, he's a narcissist, and the problem with that is when you're not accountable or have no obligation to anyone else other than yourself, it's very difficult to win in team sports. And that's how I view Kyrie Irving. And now it's just another stop along this journey. Is he going to be bought in and engaged? I'm sure he's going to look that way initially. How long does it last? How, is he even happy watching Luka Doncic play the way he plays and dominate the basketball to the extent that he does? All that remains to be seen. But if I'm Dallas, I wouldn't have touched this. I, I would not have traded for Kyrie Irving. I think they gave up a, a lot to get him. Look, uh, look, the jury's going to be out. Obviously, we're going to judge this thing not two months from now or two weeks from now. We'll judge it a year and a half, two years from now. We'll go, okay, did Dallas, did this work out for Dallas? The, you know, the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. Psychologists will tell you that. Kyrie Irving's not going to change. He's going to be who he is. So the controversy, the problems, I saw somebody tweeted out, it was a brilliant tweet. Guy's a conspiracy theorist. He's a flat earther. I mean, he's going to be on the grassy knoll, they tweeted, with a pair of binoculars. 
asking a lot of questions. The book depository, all that. This is this is who he's going to be. It's who he is. We'll see if Dallas can live with it. Leave it here. Anna pops into the studio next. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Happy Monday. People say that all the time. I'm going to say it today. I'm not a, I'm not a happy Monday kind of person, but I'm going to say it. Anna's popped into the studio. You you popped into the studio. You came in. And I said, what do you want to talk about? And you said a unicycle. What do you mean by, you, you want to talk about a unicycle? Are you buying a unicycle? <laughs> Did you hear about this kid, this college student from Maine? No. He rode... 2,400 miles from Maine to the southernmost point in the continental U.S., which happens to be Key West, Florida. Ah. So, you know, if you're headed somewhere, that's not a bad, like, finishing point, right? But he did it on a unicycle. Something wrong with people like that. (laughs) You know, we have a good friend (laughs) who walked, like, from Portland, Oregon to San Diego. Our friend, yeah, Dale, yeah, great guy. He was doing it to raise money. Yeah, I get it. What this guy? He just got on his unicycle and he forest gumped well, it, he, or what happened? He was raising money as well. Okay, about the East Coast Greenway, which is a developing bicycle and pedestrian route connecting 15 states between Maine and Florida. I wonder if the cyclists don't like the unicyclists. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know how like sometimes there's kind of a snob within the sub subcategory why do you always have to be the pot stirrer why do you have to <laughs> like create and look for drama i'm not but i'm just thinking if i'm putting myself in the shoes of a cyclist and mind you, know, you he's in a cycling stance you know, right now I, folks. I'm, I'm putting myself literally You're, in the shoes of a cyclist yeah i'm on this path here comes some bozo unicycler guy and he's and he's not like cyclists ride in a very straight north south direction when they're cycling the unicyclist as i've seen them tend to weave a little. You don't know There's that. There's a little wobble in their ride. There no? can't be that much wobble in this guy. Avery Suter's ride, if he's doing 20 to 30 miles a day on his way to Key West. How fast is he going? Is he juggling while he's doing this? <laughs> What's he doing? <laughs> he said there were challenges in rural areas like, oh, I don't know, Virginia and North Carolina, where it was difficult to carry enough food and water. He packed a tent and camped out on some nights. Where's he carrying the tent? He's on a unicycle. On his uh, unicycle pack. It's the, like at the front of his unicycle. This guy's wasting his time. He should be entertaining people during <laughs> halftime at an NBA game. It took him four and a half months. Four and a half months. Who has that kind of time? A student, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. What uh-huh. did you do in college? Well, I unicycled for... You know, ever. <laughs> so that's uh, that's pretty entertaining. I was at uh, Arizona State playing, I think it was the USC-Arizona State game, or UCLA-Arizona State game. Yeah. And it was halftime of the game, and this guy comes out, and they bring this guy out, and I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say this. It's not the most politically correct thing. The guy was kind of fat. Okay. Okay. He, was, he wasn't in good shape. Okay. And he was in a T-shirt and jeans. Okay. They walk him out on the court, and they also bring out a shopping cart, a ladder, a table, 
uh, an umbrella, like mm-hmm. a patio umbrella. They brought out, you know, all this stuff. And okay. and we're all kind of looking, going, what is this guy going to do? And, and by the way, is this the guy? Is he the act? Uh-huh. Because he didn't look like he could do anything. Right. Like normally they'll bring out the lady who rides the unicycle and she spins like the bowls or yeah. the plates. Yeah. You know. And it's obvious she's the performer. Yeah. She's yeah. in costume. Yeah. This yeah. guy just looked like he wandered in. He was at Home Depot <laughs> or whatever, and he wandered into the arena. And then they announced him as the chin balancer. Uh-huh. Okay? Yeah. And I got to tell you, for the next eight minutes, the chin balancer brought the house down. <laughs> what it, did he start with? He started off with a little sign that said, that I'm the chin balancer. Okay. And what he did is he had this little dimple on his chin. Mm, and, a dimple chin. Yeah, and... You kind of just first were kind of casually watching him, and he puts the sign on his chin. He puts his hands out to the side. He balances mm-hmm. this giant, like, four-by-four four sign. Mm-hmm. Then he elevates to the to the uh, patio umbrella. Okay. He opens it up. He balances it on his Any chin. Any old person could do that. You know, and you go, whoa, that's pretty good. And then he, then he starts <laughs> taking all these other things off the table, and he's balancing them. Then he literally picks the table up. And this was a table that was like... Three feet by eight feet. It yeah. was one of those long banquet-style yeah. tables. And you're, everyone's going, no, he's not. No, he's not. And the chin balancer, I kid you not, puts this table on his chin. The corner, right? The corner, the corner of the table. The corner of the table. Yeah. And he balances it towards, like it's pointing towards the rafters of the arena. You didn't take video of this? I did take video of did. it. I have eight minutes of video of the chin balancer. <laughs> like someday I'm going to get a note from you know Apple going, hey, your storage is full. Yeah. And I'm going to have to make a really hard decision. But I've got eight <laughs> minutes of gold of the chin balancer. And he put a shopping cart, like a regular grocery store shopping cart, uh-huh. on his chin and balanced it in the air with, like, the wheels towards the ceiling. It is it is a remarkable performance. But I had, a, I had so many questions. I Like, I didn't want to interview the players after the game. I wanted to talk to the chin balancer yeah. because I wanted to be like, hey, how did you learn you could do this? Right. Like what where, did it start with? You where know? were you? You just sit around playing cards or something and <laughs> drinking coffee, and somebody goes, you know, you have a really interesting chin. I bet you could balance anything on it. No. I want to know how he figured out he had this talent. How cr- like how close were you that you saw that he had an actual dimple on his chin, and how fundamental to his balancing act is that dimple? I think that Can dim- any old person with a chin do that, I wonder? I don't know. I, I haven't tried it yet. Yeah. But- I, Start uh, with that water bottle right now. Right I, now. But I, here's here's what I got out of it is, you know, we all may have hidden talents. Mm-hmm. This guy found his thing. Yeah. To yeah. be that lucky, to yeah. find the one thing that you could be better at than anybody in the world. Uh-huh. Maybe the unicycle guy has what's, figured something what's out. What's your hidden talent? I don't know. Yeah, I I'm don't still know searching. Yeah. I'm still searching oh, for it. You know, you can uh, accurately predict the weight of luggage. You know how oh, like yeah, yeah, Sharper Image sells those luggage things yeah. where you can clip it onto your luggage and it'll tell you how much it weighs yeah. instead of trying to fit it on your bathroom scale? You are like the human version of that. You yeah. can accurately really predict good. within a pound or two. No, not even that. I whether get... I have overpacked. I, I uh, tell the airport people. Yeah, as uh, as we step up, I'll pick up the bag and I'll go twenty eight and a half, and I'll mm-hmm. set it on there twenty eight and a half. Yeah, or in and, my case, usually forty nine yeah, and a half. Forty eight, forty nine, you're in that range. Forty nine point uh, eight. And they're always like, "Whoa!" And you weigh that at home? No, it's my superpower. You ask <laughs> Superman why he's flying around? Oh, did somebody drop you out of the sky? No, he's flying. Okay, <laughs> it's a superpower. 
Uh, it's pretty cool, though. Somebody has found their thing. I don't want to rain on their parade. Yeah. You find your thing, God love you for it. All right, coming up, more of this nonsensical sports talk with Anna. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's uh, been doing chin balancer research during the break. What did you learn about the chin balancer? His name is Kevin Shiflett. Okay. His motto is stay balanced and keep your chin up. Oh, I like that. <laughs> um, and he just performed. He was just in Portland what? like a week ago. He was the halftime act at the Trailblazers game. Which game? Does it say? I don't know. Did you guys see him, Peter? Steven, were you at a game? Did you see the chin balancer? I saw when it happened, but I don't recall which game it was. I, I wasn't there in person, but I saw it all Man. over Twitter. He's something else, this guy. Yeah, it was, it was a week ago. If you go to his Instagram profile, mm. at chin balancer, shocking. We, yeah. Guy's been all over the country. I got to know his gig. Like, I guess teams must fly him in. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I wonder what his... Uh, writer is Get what is that show what do they call that you know the list of demands that you have yeah, when you show up is it a writer yeah and uh you know does he need like petroleum to moisturize his okay. chin okay this is getting out of hand he needs a chin strap <laughs> and that's it do you think he think he insures his chin you know? oh yeah do you think so many questions? There's there's a chance that the so reason why he's a little out of shape is he <laughs> needs the chin. You know what I mean? Like if he leaned out, maybe he'd lose part of his balancing act. Oh yeah. Maybe they yeah. maybe he said, you know, I went on a workout thing, all of a sudden I couldn't couldn't hold the ladder. The best part of the whole act was he had this huge ladder that people would use to get up to like the second floor and clean their gutters. Yeah. It's kinda like the A frame ladder. He collapsed it into a single, like, straight line mm -hmm. and balanced it on his chin. Then he opened it, climbed to the top of it, put something else on his chin, and pretty much was to the rafters with it. He did a Christmas tree mm. on Christmas. Yeah, I believe it. And that's the thing, too, is, like, does he bring all his stuff with him? You know? Because, like, not everything is the same. You can't assume that one shopping cart is the yeah, same as know. the next. Maybe he goes to the store and he buys it all and then he returns it. <laughs> in every city. That could be his whole shtick. Maybe they're all props and it's fake. <laughs> oh. I don't think so, man. I don't think so. That was a real table. It's like a that was lightweight a... ladder. Yeah, yeah, it's like foam, yeah. I like that you're skeptical, though. Thank you. Yeah. That's a good journalist right mm -hmm. there. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff in Forest Grove has called in. We were talking about the greatest Pats of all time in sports. Mm -hmm. Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Ewing, That's what you meant. Danica Patrick, oh all the Pats gosh. that are great. And Jeff in Forest Grove says we missed one. Jeff, what do you got? Pat Summit, my Pat favorite Summit. coach of all time. Good call, Tennessee coach. And I, I would watch their games just to see her coach. Love that. Have you read Pat's uh, book, Pat Summit, the book? No, I need to get it on my list. Sally Jenkins wrote it. And a uh, really good book about Pat Summit. It's out there. Go grab it. It's worth a read. I love that. Okay, thanks I'm for going thanks on for the. I'll get one before I go. There you go. There it is. See, that's why you come to the show. Book recommendations, chins, unicycles. What else, Stephen? We know your superpower. You can undress, take your shirt off faster than anybody in America. That's right. Uh, <laughs> by the way, why didn't you do that at Spirit Mountain? 
you never told me to. <laughs> Had all my bets won, I would have. <laughs> I think what could have happened there, just like Chin Guy, you might have been discovered in Spirit Mountain. You go, look, next time the Thunder from Down Under are performing, we'll get Steven to come as the opening <laughs> act, rip his shirt off in two seconds. The ladies go crazy. Crowd goes nuts. Men, women, and children all going, how did he do that so fast? And now, ladies and gentlemen, children out of the room, the thunder from down under. The thunder from the BFT, yeah. Got it. <laughs> like that. Peter Sampson, what's your superpower? Um, yeah, if I had to choose a superpower, it's that I can make a delicious meal out of no matter what you have Ooh. in your fridge, in your pantry. It can be the most random things, and it will be delicious. There you go. See? He's got, that's powerful, man. That should be a reality powerful. TV show mm-hmm. if we had that. Uh, mm-hmm. Just keeping you, up, keeping, keeping you up on news, Anna. I want to get to some of this stuff. LeBron is uh, frustrated that the Lakers didn't get Kyrie Irving. We've talked about this earlier in the show. Uh, I think it's kind of good for people to see LeBron not get his way. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because I, I think over the years, he's won his championships. He's gone to taking his talents to South Beach and... Then he's taken his talents to Cleveland, and then now to L.A., and he's won championships. I actually think it's good for his legacy and the overall kind of feeling that we all have about LeBron for LeBron not to get another championship and, oh, get it in a way that is feels icky. So I think this is a good development. LeBron's superpower is that he manages to be in the news every single day. There's not a day that goes by that LeBron isn't somehow making headlines and right like who's who's better at it? Tom Brady or LeBron? LeBron. I think they're kind of toe to toe right now. LeBron. Really? Yeah. Brady's saying he's going away for a while. That was the news today. Yeah. Gonna... After posting a picture of himself in his underwear. He's going away. Yeah, just did that <laughs> thing? No, I didn't. Yeah. It's it's a sight. What do, you, what do you mean by that? I, he posted I a picture of himself. Is it a good look or a it's bad his, look? I guess it's he his looks, underwear, right? That he's selling. Yeah, yeah, he looks great. I mean, I think uh, all the women are gonna love it, and I don't. I mean, I don't know if he's trying to sell it to the women or to the men. Like, it's it's one of those types. You of think things. he's? Do you think he's trying to punch back against Giselle and the uh, and the? Uh, no, know, I think he's just guy? trying to sell Tom Brady underwear. <laughs> I don't actually. know. I think he wants to sell that he still got it. Yeah. I still got it, even though I'm not a football player anymore. I just retired. I still got it. Yeah, but I'm I'm not the classic retirement guy. You know, I'm not stereotypical (laughs) retirement guy. I'm still Tom Brady. It's been two minutes. Congratulations. You still have your professional football body. I still think it is a little bit of Brady uh, punching back because she was horseback with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy doing the yoga, Okay? okay, doing the scuba or whatever they were doing. And I think this is him going, you know what? Take my shirt off right now. Mm-hmm. No? Yeah. I also think Valentine's Day is coming up. Mm. But who wants Tom Brady underwear? Like, if no, I, I don't. Th- like, you don't want Tom Brady underwear. No. Is there any man in America that wants Tom Brady underwear? Yeah, that's a bad that's Even a good the point. biggest, like, Patriots, or, or I guess Buccaneers fan, happy Valentine's Can Day. Can you get any closer to Tom Brady than wearing <laughs> Tom Brady underwear? That's, you know, and there are not grown men in the New England area who are going to go, yeah, I got to have those drawers. Does it have and a 12 t- on the back of it? Like as a jersey number? Tampa. Tampa people aren't going to like it. Uh, Ray is in Oregon. He says, Ray says we've missed another Pat. Ray, who else have we missed in the Pat conversation? Hey, JC. Being a Niner guy, thought figured you would have said Patrick Willis. Okay. That's solid. It's solid, but I don't – Ray, tell me if I'm wrong. I can't put him, like, 
with Patrick Mahomes, but I think he's really good. Patrick Willis is great. Oh, yeah, tremendous. And it wasn't for another number 52 in Baltimore. I mean, he was the top for five, six years. I mean, he's a sideline to sideline linebacker with tremendous speed, and I think it really ushered in the speed people were looking for at the linebacker position. There you go. Ray in Oregon. I Love do have that. another Pat. Yeah. Um, what about Pat Summerall? Oh, yeah. Because not only did he make an impact on the field, but off the field as well. Pat Summerall and John Madden yeah. on Sundays. Coming up next, 60 minutes. You know, that that's Murder, just burned into rounds. my head. I've got a okay, big one that uh, we Anna just showed me the picture of Tom Brady. Hand placed over his family jewels in his underwear. Taking a selfie. I'm not sure I needed to see that, Anna. You're welcome. <laughs> I did not need to see that. Listen, if you're clamoring for your phone right now to go search this up, don't. Okay? <laughs> don't. Just leave it be. Your imagination's way better than what you could see. You guys, I didn't need to see that. But, like, who's the, who is he selling to? Right? Like, is, is it to the dudes or is it to the ladies? No. It's his brand. It's not to anybody. He's not. I don't think he's actually interested in selling a shred, a stitch of underwear. I think he's interested in telling people, hey, I'm, I'm available to model, and I still got it. And when you come down off that horse... Uh, I might uh, model. I, He's going to make three hundred thirty million dollars in money. broadcasting. It, it's not about money. He for doesn't Tom Brady. need to model. He like LeBron, like you know some others are addicted to the spotlight. I don't think they can go away. Mm. I think it's kind of. I look. We used to it's see Kardashian esque boxers hang on too long. Athletes hang on too long. It, luckily, athletes now can broadcast and get in the booth, and they can still kind of feel like they're important and they can be seen, and so they don't lose their total identity. But we've talked to so many athletes on this show over the years who have talked about retirement and then looking in the mirror and going, I don't even know who I am. And, you know, we've talked to a ton of athletes mm -hmm. about that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. One of the best, Alex Molden, has come on this show and talked about, you know, post-career. You know, he, you know, you're used to as an athlete, I think, walking around, getting a table at a restaurant, not paying for a meal, doors open for you. Life pretty easy, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, there's no traffic, you know? Mm -hmm. There's a police escort everywhere. And then they retire, and you suddenly got to stand in line and wait for to get a soda. You know, I was in Salt Lake City, and I walked into this burger joint, Tony Burger. Mm -hmm. I love the Tony Burger. <laughs> uh, it's a good hamburger. But on the wall in the restaurant, they had a list, and I tweeted it, of all the people who don't have to pay for a hamburger. <laughs> It was all celebrities and athletes. Like, there was no, Steven wasn't on the list. Okay? Oh, that's there was a crying no, shame. There was no, hey, uh, Judah Newby on the list. There was no <laughs> Joe McGee or Pat on line two was not on the list to get a free burger. It was Utah Jazz players, Kyle Whittingham, uh, Blake Lively, um, you know, Jimmy Kimmel. It was a series of actors and celebrities who would never go into Tony Burger in the first place. What's funny is, like, the B-level celebrity that would go in, and there's sort of a gray area, right? Like, hey, yeah. don't you know me from, like, you know, that 70s yeah. show? And somebody in the restaurant has to make the determination, like, do you pay for your burger or not? Let me Google yeah. you. I was over at the Huntsman Center, and I said, hey, uh, you know, a couple of the media people, I said, how come you're not getting a free burger at Tony Burger? And they said, I don't know, and maybe I'm not a big enough deal. The, the trick is... They don't actually want to give away burgers. They just want to create, like, hey, these are people who would eat for free here. Mm -hmm. And I tweeted it out, and then some people said, hey, 
instead of putting celebrities, maybe they should let each celebrity dictate a homeless person that could eat their burger for free. But I wanted to tweet back, like, that's not the point. They don't actually want to give away any free burgers. They're just saying, look at these celebrities. If they eat here, they get to eat for free. Here's Mike in Portland. Mike's called in. I think he's going to be first in line to get a pair of those Tom Brady skivvies. Mike, you going to order? Skivvies. No, man. Say, John, I, I, nothing about a man attracts me, man. Nothing. And <laughs> seriously, man. You know, John, I sit back and listen to people call in like you guys had. One day you were talking about what athlete you wanted to would like to come to a party. Yeah. And every guy mentioned a guy. Nobody mentioned a female. You know, I'm not up with that kind of stuff, man. You know, if a woman ain't there, I ain't coming. But anyway, man, what I want to say about Tom Brady, man, is that he got to be one of the dumbest guys around. And I'm going to tell you why. He let Antonio Brown move in his house with him and Gazelle and his children. Now, you know, t Antonio Brown, man, he's streety. He's just some old thug off the street that can play football. So what I'm thinking, because he was uh, sh showing photos of him and Gazelle, and Gazelle was on his back with her arms around him and stuff, you know, quiet as kept. I think Antonio Brown was messing with Gazelle. And I think I think Tom Brady probably knew that. That's probably was one of the problems with their relationship, man. And I think that happened way before she went out with that guy yeah. on a horseback. Yeah, and you know what, she, Gazelle should be careful out there because if there's a lion out there, <laughs> it could get her. Let me ask you, Mike, who's coming to your dinner party, okay? Well, John, you know me, man. First of all, I'm going to have females there. Okay, who, and, though? Who is that? Well, you know, I like um, Doja, I, that Doja Cat woman. But, Jan, I'm going to tell you, though, if a woman got a man, she can't show up, man. I don't date single women. I don't want a woman that don't nobody else want. A woman got to have a man in order for me to be with her. So I'm just telling you that's. That's me, man. Yeah, I, know you, I think are... you came on. You came on this show once upon a time, and you said you're the guy who comes creeping. <laughs> I do, John. I, I, I'm a creeper. I'm a, they call me the Midnight Rider, man. That's me. Talk to you <laughs> later, man. Oh, Mike in Portland. What do we got there? Let's unpack it. Gazelles. We, I'm prancing. Yeah, Anna was prancing like a gazelle. <laughs> As he was talking about it, uh, he's he's a midnight writer. Wow, we've had this conversation now with Mike for about a decade. There's so much there to process. I, I rather enjoy it. Yeah. I find it entertaining. Yeah. I also thought it was interesting. Who's he talking about? The Dosha. Who's he talking about? I'm not She's cool enough to She's know. A rapper. She, but the theory isn't terrible. I don't think. Right? Like what? Of you know, you need to have a female be with a man. Like if you're not with someone, are you really worth it? Are you good <laughs> I enough? See. I so, feel like it's not a terrible theory, but I mean, I don't. <laughs> that is worst take. Yeah, it's not it's as not, it's not worst take. take. Yeah, it's not the worst take I've ever heard. I like it. Uh, <laughs> all right. Uh, coming up, we'll take more of your phone calls. 503-417-7575. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. 
Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. This show never disappoints. I never know where it's going. It's always entertaining. I appreciate those of you who call in. Tell me what's on your mind, as Mike did in that last segment. Uh, Michael is in Oregon. Michael wants to talk about Dennis Dixon. Michael, welcome to the show. John, I waited an hour to talk to Dennis, and then my reception went bad when you guys were at the casino. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What did you want to ask him? Now, great show. Well, I just wanted to tell him and thank him for two things. I was there the night our season died in Tucson, and I went into a tequila haze as the Zona faithful mock our expiring national title dreams. But what a season. But before that, I went with a good buddy of mine who was a Wolverine. We took our uh, our girlfriends at the time. And I've never seen 105,000 people so quiet. That was a clinic. But the best part was going out in Ann Arbor that night wearing our colors and those spoiled brat Michigan Wolverine kids thought they were so entitled. Oh, I'm going to Michigan. We win every weekend. Nope. They got pounded into skirt stick. It was so beautiful, so quiet that night in Ann Arbor. So that's what I called to say. But also the guy who called before, dude, why do you even let him on? He was such a dork and so yeah, negative. Yeah, I, I think it's kind of entertaining. He anything positive to say, and he's a duck hater, and he has no cachet, no qualifications. He's so obvious. I mean, it, it's boring. <laughs> but I love you guys. All You're right. I best. appreciate you. All right, let me ask you, Michael, are you buying some Tom Brady underpants? I mean, who is going to buy that? Probably a bunch of sorority girls. I, I can't nope. even imagine. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, but I tell you what, he's just trying. You're right, Giselle. He's going to look back at this year. Who knows what was happening in their marriage? But I would have stayed married to her just to hang out with her sisters. Google Giselle's sisters, <laughs> and I'll leave you guys with that. All, All right. right. There we go. Today on the Google list, chin balancer. Gazelle, Tom Brady's underpants, and Gazelle's sisters, which happened to be the caribou. And <laughs> what what do you see in there? They're pretty. I mean, you know, good genes run in the family. They're all right. They're all right. <laughs> These Tom right. Brady underwear, five pack for eighty five dollars, seems pretty spendy. It's gonna end up. You know, it's gonna end up. At, it's gonna end up at Costco. You're gonna walk into Costco. Somebody's going to be some you're going to walk by somebody's shopping cart. I'm always peering into everyone else's cart. I want to see what good stuff they're getting. And what am I missing out on? And you're going to see like the chin balancer in there picking up a patio umbrella and a five pack of Tom Brady's underpants <laughs> while eating a eating one of those dollar 50 hot dogs. <laughs> There Did anyone go. mention Patty Mills in your discussion about the Pats? No. Good Patty one. Mills. Good for you. Good for you. Congratulating myself on that. Well, it. but we were also saying who's the best Pat. Yeah. Patty Mills can't be the best Pat. Yeah. Patty Mills could be the be one of the better interviews, one of the nicer guys, mm -hmm. great bench player, supportive guy, always waving a towel and, and high-fiving a teammate after a bucket. Mm -hmm. But he's not, you know, he doesn't have like the, 
I'm going to lead you to the Super Bowl aura about him mm-hmm. or an NBA well, championship. He plays basketball. Yeah, but he could win, you know, he he could be a champion, but he's not carrying the team to the championship. So Patrick Mahomes gets the gets the edge on that one. Okay. Gets the nod. All right, the 5 at 5's coming up. Anna has scoured planet Earth for the five most interesting, compelling stories in her mind. We'll sift through them next as part of the BFT. BFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. This show is like one giant audible sometimes. I, I like that. It's like life, you know? Did you know everything that you were going to do today? Did you know every conversation you were going to have? I don't. It's very fluid. It's free form. That's this show. I think it works. I think we've had two excellent hours of radio, and now here's the happy hour. It's my favorite hour. Hour number three of this show is always a little loose and free. Coming up uh, at 6 o'clock, Peter Sampson and the Pulse. For those of you who want to stick around, don't touch that dial. Is Peter? What are you going to talk about, Peter? Yeah, a whole lot of uh, NBA trade deadline. Uh, dive a little bit deeper into whether or not the Trailblazers are actually going to be players, which we kind of hit on here on this show. And uh, I'll be giving away some uh, some rock and roll tickets all week long. Okay, rock and roll and trade deadline talk coming up six o'clock. The Pulse. Anna is. Uh, you went to the dog park with the uh, dog uh, in the last couple of days, did mm-hmm. you not? Is, yeah. Those experiences going better than they went last week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Our dog's great. She likes humans, and she likes other dogs. So, so far, yeah. we're winning. She also likes to grab... She thinks she's a magician. She grabs mm-hmm. the tablecloth <laughs> in, the, in the kitchen, and she rips it off the table, and whatever's on the table comes crashing down to the ground. <laughs> and she thinks she's like, you know... One of the, a parlor mu- mu- you know, magician, not a like a cheap musician. We magician. We have a we have a fix for that, right? Yeah. Did uh, that work today? By the way, I don't know. Did, I wasn't it, home. Much to my dismay. Yeah, this happens to me each morning as I'm writing. I hear a loud crash coming from the kitchen, and I arrive to see the dog holding the tablecloth and whatever it was on the table, and uh, looking at me very satisfied. So you suggested this morning that we should take some silverware and a cookie sheet and place it on the table so that when she pulls the tablecloth off, she gets a very unpleasant experience of all this sound and crashing and noise around her that will scare her and train her and condition her not to do it. Yeah. Well, I was very excited, and I listened Uh as I wrote, and I listened, and I was working on a big project that I'm publishing tomorrow, and... uh, Make sure you subscribe. And uh, no sound. Nothing. I think she's smart. She looked up there and went, "Ah, I don't want the cookie sheet. I see some silverware. No good. This is going to be a pass for me. She said, "Uh, not for me. She outfoxed us. It's a no for me, dog, is what she said. So uh, we'll see. We'll see if that happens tomorrow. Uh, Very exciting stuff. Yeah. Let's go to the five at five, starring Anna. The five at five. Number one in Anna's five most important stories is 
so Joe Montana is weighing in on who he thinks the 49ers should start at quarterback mm. for the 2023 season. He says that it should be Jimmy Garoppolo. He says, I would start Jimmy. He's won a lot of games. I can't say the same for Trey. You don't know that with him. He's saying he won a lot of games before he got hurt. What about Brock he Purdy? He put them in that position to be able to go on and on that run to begin with for the playoffs. Look, nobody, like, look, I love Joe Montana. He was my guy growing up, okay? Yeah. Let's be real. You're going to trash him now? Yeah, and this is where I trash him. But he, he hasn't really stayed around the limelight. He isn't putting pictures of himself in underwear out there. Isn't he's that not, a good thing? He's not broadcasting. <laughs> he doesn't need to be seen. Yeah. I don't know why he's popped his head up on this subject. He's been silent for, like, decades. <laughs> Golden Joe, we hardly knew you were alive. And now you're commenting on Jimmy Garoppolo and Trey Lance. He's what just did, saying he has, where that did they Garoppolo has the experience. He has the proof of performance. Between sets at 24-hour fitness and the Nautilus machine, <laughs> Joe Montana finally answered a question and had an opinion. Like, he, he has disappeared mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. You see him. We don't I'm not going to be him. a fan of that. I am a fan of him as a player, but I'm a little disappointed. Where you been, Joe? Two segments ago, you were <laughs> saying that people need to just go away. <laughs> <laughs> and stay away, in this case. <laughs> Number two. Go. Uh, I'm entertained by this. Nick Saban is sharing the advice that he gave Jalen Hurts before... Uh, he transferred to Oklahoma. Like Nick Saban all of a sudden is talking about, you know, the sage wisdom that he imparted uh, on Jalen Hurts when he was at Alabama, when he replaced Jalen Hurts with Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah. I'm probably saying that wrong. You got close enough. Um, you know, he was telling Jalen Hurts that you need to go to Oklahoma because, uh, you know, you gotta, it's the best coach there, Lincoln Riley, to develop you as a quarterback, and you're going to be around the best players. Don't go to I love that. Miami or Maryland. Told him he needed to work on his passing. Yeah. Can't just make plays with Nick, your feet. Too much for Nick Saban to just admit that he benched Jalen Hurts, and Jalen Hurts came back from it. Has to take some credit. The ego of high-profile coach strikes again. And he and he's not alone. I'm picking on Nick Saban. But a lot of these coaches, no matter that he didn't see the talent, hey, Nick, you should have developed this guy. Where were you? Oh, that's right. You benched him because you wanted to win a national championship. You chose Tua. You said Tua is better. Hertz is in the Super Bowl. Tua is not. I don't know. Again, I get it. He's recruiting. So come play for me at Alabama because even if I don't develop you and put you in the NFL, I'll send you to some other school and give you sage advice and help you get there anyway. What a saint. Number three. Uh, Are we tired of talking about the Kelsey Bowl yet? Travis and Jason Kelsey making history in the Super Bowl as the first pair of brothers to face off. You know, there was a petition going around for his mom, for their mom, yeah. to do Donna. the Super Bowl. You know her by name, Donna. Yep. Super Bowl coin toss, and she's saying that uh, there are so many legends and people that have their blood, sweat, and tears on that field. And for a mom that's never played football, I don't think that's the right place for me to be. Guess what, Donna? You weren't going to get there anyway. But <laughs> way to go! Stay classy.
No, I actually, we played a clip for her early in the show. She talked about how much joy she has because her two kids are playing in this game, and your kids aren't, ladies and gentlemen. I'm a true fan of football. This is going to be so awesome. They've already got the first win under their belts, so this is going to be just pure joy. I mean, we're going to really enjoy this. Um, have a great time. Obviously, there's going to be somebody that's going to go home heartbroken, but uh, they won't have the you know bragging rights at the Thanksgiving table. But uh, you know, this is going to be an awesome event, and I'm really looking forward to it. Couple cliches in there, but other than that, she's made for this game because the Super Bowl has such broad appeal. It can't all be about the X's and O's and how do you stop Patrick Mahomes. The Today Show needed a face for the Super Bowl, it's Donna Kelsey. It's true. Like, she creates Good Morning America, every, you know, the kicker at every newscast. It's perfect because now they don't have to talk about what's the perfect Super Bowl, you know, tailgate item, what should you have at your Super Bowl party. No, they just bring out the Kelsey, the mom, and let her talk about her kids. Well, it, and the most, the most mom thing ever is she's saying that she's worried that her doing the coin toss would be a distraction for her sons. <laughs> Isn't that cute? It is kind of, but be a distraction. you weren't invited, Donna. It, they're going to have somebody who's won a Super Bowl or something, Joe Namath in a fur coat, who knows, <laughs> drunk in a coat <laughs> doing the Super Bowl coin toss. I've never even thought about that. Who usually does coin tosses? Yeah, so they have an honorary captain. Someone like that? Given that this game is in Arizona, uh -huh. who knows? Oh, okay. I'll look it up right now. Well, you give us number four. Four, four right? Four. Uh, okay. So Aaron Rodgers won the Pebble Beach Pro-Am over the weekend. So he's staying busy. But then he's about to be the guest speaker, um, actually, this afternoon. He was the guest speaker this afternoon at an astrological seminar led by author Deborah Silverman. Silverman, I can't talk. Uh, this is a master class, and it's purported to give attendees a chance to discover how to fall in love with you using the ancient science of astrology. Participants will get the chance to discover how Aaron Rodgers has fallen in love with his fate and uses it to have confidence without validation or approval, and how you can too. How much are they charging for that? No idea. Too much. Remember that weird tattoo that he got last summer, though? It had all the uh, constellations. Yeah, but that tattoo wasn't the weirdest thing Aaron Rodgers did last <laughs> summer. Guarantee you. Guarantee that. Uh, Whatever that is, it's too much. He's another one that's yeah. not going to go away. Okay? <laughs> Every day. Aaron Rodgers. Where's he going to play? Who's he going to be with? Will he be in a broadcast booth one day? No doubt. Yeah. Number five in the five at five. Anna, what do you have? This is just amusing. Uh, Nicholas Batum, and I'm only doing it because it's Nicholas Batum. Uh, he was taking photos with fans on the street. You know, he's playing for the Clippers now. He was with the Trailblazers and the Hornets before. He was in New York over the weekend with the Clippers playing the Knicks on Saturday. And a fan thought that Batum was Celtics forward Al Horford. <laughs> so they they asked him for a photo. Oh, man. And uh, I guess he took the photo with somebody, and the guy said, Thank you, Al. Go Celtics. And he tweeted that out himself. I think that's so funny. That's like when the, uh, the race car guy thought, 
Paolo Bancaro was Patrick Mahomes. Yes. <laughs> so close, not really. So close. By the way, the NFL has announced that the honorary coin toss captains are going to be four Pat Tillman Foundation scholars. So that I, given that's in it's in Arizona, that's why. Uh. The NFL has a process for this. Not anybody can flip the coin, Donna. <laughs> it's not like somebody can have a petition, and that's how you get to co- toss the coin. No, no, no. The NFL has a process for this. They will be remembering Pat Tillman at the Super Bowl, and they've chose chosen four students from his foundation that will uh, flip the coin. It's well, be that, that seems quite meaningful. Pretty cool. Donna... Would probably love to come in there, wrestle it away from them, and flip it. She's not going to get it. That's the five at five. I don't know that I'd want that pressure. No. Of being the coin tosser. You know what I mean? What are your, like, what are the obligations? Do you have to catch the coin? No. Because if you had to catch it and then look no. at it, that would be, that's like throwing out the first ball at a baseball game. Yeah. They uh, they have you come out. Uh-huh. They have the person they show the coin to yeah. both teams. Here's what we're going to call heads. Usually it's a uh, commemorative coin, so it has some weird stuff like an eagle or something on it. Okay. And the other side, something else. Yeah. You know, Paul Tagliabue's face or something. Who knows? <laughs> and uh, they show both sides. This is heads. This is tails. And then they go, here's Donna. She's going to flip it. Uh-huh. And I don't know how they're going to have four people flip it. That's the mystery to me. Yeah. Uh, and then you flip it in the air. Mm-hmm. It rotates. They mm-hmm. probably have them practicing. Yeah. And then the coin lands on the turf. On the turf. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. then the official declares, yeah. it's an eagle. Mm-hmm. That's tails. Eagles, you win the toss. Mm-hmm. And then the crowd roars, and the eagles defer, yeah. so they don't actually get the ball. It's very <laughs> melodramatic. But there's yeah. a lot of pressure in the Super Bowl, too, because there's a lot of bets being made on the yeah. uh, on the coin toss. Is that a stupid bet? I think it's kind of a stupid bet. I mean, it depends on what the odds are. I mean, if it's plus 100, it's actually favorable if you go tails. Yeah. You know the best bet that you can make in the Super Bowl, and it, it prints every year? Yeah, what? It's score within the first five to six minutes. Generally, there isn't a score in the first five to six minutes of the Super Bowl. Hmm. Teams are feeling each other out a little bit. All you need is a punt. One punt, and nobody wins that bet. If So you bet that no one will score in the first five minutes of the game. Wins every year. Well, I got tails this year, so... <laughs> So a, I'm asking the wrong guy if that's a stupid bet. It just seems rather arbitrary. It really like why, is. Why not just I toss a coin and you bet me? Like why do we have to wait for the Super Bowl? Well, it just feels like should. yeah, let's do that. It just kind of feels like you're wagering to wager. Yeah. Am I dumb here? But isn't it fifty-fifty? Yeah. Well, it's fifty-one forty-nine. If it starts on heads, it's fifty-one percent that's going to land on tails. Cause no. Because the flip. No. That it's fifty-fifty. If you flip it enough. Google it. It's we've been googling all show. He sounds very convinced about this. Half of half of Stephen's whole gig is just to say whatever he's saying with conviction, and he sells it. Yeah, and then you just believe him. Like, okay, I got it. I I believe you. Yeah. Some I had somebody ask me today, like, if you go to a Blazer game because the Blazers are playing the Bucks, and they have a kid that wants to actually walk down and get as close as he can get to the uh, court in the pregame, mm-hmm. sometimes the ushers will stop people from going down. Yeah. But if you have a ticket, let's say, in the 100 level, mm-hmm. and yet I, I said to the to the mom, I said, if you act like you've been there and mm-hmm. you belong there, they're far less likely to stop you. Stephen could sell that. 
Steve would walk down there like he's, yeah, I'm a courtside seat ticket holder. I'm going to walk right down. Now, they don't want to get his kid on the court. They just want to get the kid close enough. It's his birthday, I guess, mm-hmm. to be able to see the court and be able to see his mm-hmm. team warm up. That's sweet. Apparently, he's a big fan. So, happy birthday to the kid. Uh, coming up, we will give our Super Bowl predictions, not heads or tails, but the actual winner of the game. Some skill and wisdom involved in this, not just arbitrary luck. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. We're going to give our Super Bowl predictions in this segment. I want yours, too, at 503-417-7575. That's the number. Uh, some Super Bowl connections in our state. How about this? Three former Oregon high school football players will be participating in the Super Bowl. Indomitian uh, Sue from Grant High School will be uh, on the field. Marlon Tupelodu uh, from Central High School. And Isaac Samalo from Santiam Christian and Corvallis High School will all be playing in the game and on behalf of uh, the Eagles. So we're all about the Eagles in the state of Oregon. Let's go around the room, Peter Sampson and Steven. Who do you like in the Super Bowl and why? Build a case for your team uh, winning the Super Bowl. Uh, I am still choosing the Philadelphia Eagles. I think that they just rolled through the competition this year. I, You could make a case that maybe Jalen Hurts' shoulder isn't 100% because he didn't have to throw really against the San Francisco 49ers, but that doesn't matter to me. You can't take away from that ground game. You can't take away from what they've done on both sides of the ball all year long. They're rolling. They're going to beat the Kansas City Chiefs. The uh, For people wondering about the Super Bowl, it's uh, obviously the most wagered football game uh, of the season, but the Kansas City Chiefs are getting a point and a half in this game. D- Peter, you're, you're picking the Eagles. Do you, do you like the Eagles to cover the point and a half? <sighs> I'd like it a lot better if it was just a point. But, yes, I'm going to take them giving up the point and a half. How about over under 51? You have a feel for the game. Will it be higher scoring, lower scoring? Uh, what do you think? I, I'm actually going to go with under 51. I I always like to play the under in the Super Bowl. There's always nerves for the – and it's kind of related. You, you hit on yeah. this just like 15 minutes ago. There's never a score early. Nerves always kind of catch up with players for a little bit. I, I think I'm going with the under. Steven, how do you see this one? Uh, I'm, I'm leaning Chiefs on this one. I like the Chiefs in this game. Uh, I just I can't go against Patrick Mahomes. He looked okay enough, I think, against the um, against the Bengals in the AFC Championship game, healthy enough with that ankle. I still do question Jalen Hurts a little bit, and maybe that's just me holding on to the fact that I didn't think he was that great coming into the season. But I want to see him make a big time throw in a big time game, and he didn't have to do it last year in the playoffs. Hasn't had to do it in this year in the playoffs. Just like Peter said, it's been an easy ride for Philadelphia. I really would be interested to see if the 49ers had a quarterback, how that game would have turned out. Because of that, I, I'm going to lean with the Chiefs. I do like the under as well. I think the under is the right play uh, in this game. You, know, you look at what the Chiefs did even against the Bengals. That game went under. They're not as high-powered as they once was. They lost Tyreek Hill, and it's more of a methodical, not a short-passing game, but you know they'll get it down to you know third and three, and then they'll make a play. And that's kind of what the Chiefs do. I don't see the Eagles really getting a lot of explosive plays either, so I think 51 is a lot of points. I like the under on that one. Now, there is a bet on the board for a scoregami. 
a score that's never been recorded before in an NFL game. DraftKings is offering, um, I believe it is 20 to 1 odds on that to get a scoregami. My question is, uh, do you guys know what a scoregami score is? They say it's a score that has never been made, but do we have like a list of what those scores are? Or is it just infinite possibilities? Final score that's never happened before in NFL history. Now, I do have a, uh, I do have a uh, website. It's called NFLScoreAgami.com that gives you all of the possibilities. But you literally have to root for a weird – is this worse than the, than the coin toss and also more unusual? So, I don't know. Scoreagami, 20 to 1. Yeah, no scoregami for me. Um, I do know what it is. There is a Twitter account that posts all the scoregamis throughout the NFL season. Uh, so I am, uh, I am aware of those. I just don't think it's you know very likely. It seems like uh, just glancing through that Twitter, like thirty six twenty three. That seems like a score that would be most likely to happen. That is a scoregami. So you know, if you think it's thirty six twenty three, you'd make that bet. But uh, I, there's also a bet that's called an octopus bet. You know what that yeah. is, John? That's a uh, touchdown and a two point conversion on the same. On the same drive. Yeah, yeah. I just learned about that the other day. So they got that. I think that's 14 to 1. There are some props that I do like, John. I'm going to throw them out here real quick. Um, first quarter rushing yards for Miles Sanders over 12 and a half. You touched on this. Like, the first quarter is usually pretty slow. I think Philadelphia is going to see how much they can run the football. And when they do in the first quarter, Miles Sanders is usually that guy. Like, he's the guy in the first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. That's when they go with Kenneth Gainwell to change the pace. But they are pretty consistent with Miles Sanders. In the first quarter, he's at 12 and a half rushing yards. I like the over on that one. I think that's a good bet. I, li- I like the way you're thinking. Look, I like the Chiefs in this game. I'm, I think that Patrick Mahomes is the best player in the game. I'm going to go with that philosophy. I think he is experienced in games like this. He has been here before. So have some of his teammates. I think he's the best player. I'm going with Patrick Mahomes. I think there's a possibility here that Jalen Hurts uh, I don't think he was great in the 49ers game in the NFC Championship. I think that game had more to do with the Niners being inept on offense than Jalen Hurts making plays. And, you know, save for one pass completion that should have probably been overturned, he would have been under 200 passing yards in the game. So I think Mahomes, it's his game, it's his time, it's his world. We're living in it. I think the Chiefs are going to win. Um, I don't love the over-under in these kinds of games because, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Somebody could come in and get spooked, but... Uh, I would lean that this game is probably going to go over the 51. Uh, Mark in Portland has called in. I want to know what you think. 503-417-7575. Mark, what do you got? Uh, well, I wanted to throw out there the best halftime score in the history of my life was Super Bowl nine because to me it said everything about the Steelers. They were ahead 2 to nothing at halftime. So <laughs> that's a score that's never – the game's never ended at 5-4 to four or 5-3 to because we don't play defense anymore. But I wanted to touch on the six minutes. Yeah. I don't understand why the books have six minutes because I've been making that bet for years, John, as you know. And, five and minutes. i got to be hitting – It's yeah, five and a half minutes in some – yeah. And, and yeah. if you look at it, um, even if the first team with the ball scores, a lot of drives take over – five and a half, six minutes to get a field goal or a touchdown. So if there's a punt, you've, you've got a 95% chance of cashing. And it's, it's just to me, I don't I don't get why that's not higher. And so I take that bet every year. And I, so I know you take I'm, the no. No. It's, no, no one's going to score. And I don't yeah. care if it's six minutes. And then the other one is 
Here's one for you guys. Will there be a special teams or defensive TD or safety or made two-point conversion, yes or no? Ooh. Will there be a special teams or defensive TD, a safety, or a I made like two-point conversion? I yeah, like that. I mean, you get some you weird things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, so, yeah, but I, I, I disagree with you. I think you're a – you're an offensive guy. I look at uh, this this Super Bowl. Philadelphia has an underrated defense, and I I just uh, I I kind of see this Super Bowl as Mahomes is definitely the best player. But I think of the the John Elway Super Bowls in the '80s when he faced those great teams with really good defenses. It, it's not about one guy. You, you definitely got to have uh, teammates, and I I think the uh, Kansas City wide receiver core is a little banged up so we'll have to see how that plays out um travis kelsey i would go over on his 79 yards because even if they're yeah. losing he's they're going to be going to travis kelsey here's an interesting thing be careful with the language on the first score bet because i'm looking at DraftKings right now mark it says first score on or after six minutes elapsed so on or after means you want to bet yes on that because it would be on or after six minutes elapsed hey hey john i know how to bet to my bookie yeah. <laughs> All right. You're not a DraftKings guy. He words right. are different. <laughs> yeah. I'm just telling listeners in general because I know people jumped on that last year when we when uh, we gave away money on the show and told people to bet it. But uh, so the the language on this one, Stephen, because I know you're going to jump on it. I'm first actually signing in right now. Yeah. First score on or after six minutes elapsed. You want yes on that because uh, generally in most playoff games, and I have to look back at the AFC and NFC championship games, and I'll do that now and tell you after the break, but uh, you're not going to see a score in the first six minutes of the game. It it does take uh, – it would take a quick score, big chunks, whatever, but you get a punt in the game and it's it's not happening. Or even if a team drives down, they'll often take more than six minutes to, to score on that opening drive. So you want to say yes on on or after six minutes. I don't want anybody to get that wrong. So be careful with the language on it. Leave it here. you got the BFT statewide. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, so I looked up the AFC and NFC championship games. It, it took about 12 minutes for the... Bengals and Chiefs to score in their game. So your whole wager on on or after six minutes would have uh, been a winner at yes, on or after. Uh, it uh, In the Eagles-Niners game, the Eagles scored in five minutes and 48 seconds. So you would have came within 12 seconds of the six-minute mark. So that one was right on the button. Uh, so uh, buyer beware. But the Super Bowl teams tend to be a little tight. To start, so unless there's a mistake, you know, I, I generally think uh, these kinds of games, you know, people tend to come out a little bit tight. But keep an eye on that. Obviously, don't wager money that you can't afford to lose. Okay, I want to say that because I don't want anybody betting their mortgage payment on a wager. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the off season here for the Pac-12 football teams. I haven't touched on this in some time, but. Um, I'm hearing a lot of hate for Deion Sanders out there. Not in the Colorado footprint, but I was in Salt Lake City yesterday, and people were rolling their eyes going, oh, the talk about Deion, oh, it's overblown. I'm hearing some of that here in our state, too, in Oregon and southern Washington, people kind of looking at Deion and saying, 
Why is everybody talking about him? Um, you go to Twitter and Coach Prime is tr- trending. You go on ESPN and it's what Coach Prime has said. You're on TikTok and he's giving speeches. This is not bad for the Pac-12 conference. You know, people always talk about, you know, how sort of the 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 conference itself, if uh, it it can basically, you look for the weak links in the conference. And it's evident right now in basketball in particular is Oregon State and Cal and some others at the bottom of the men's basketball standings are just not doing much uh, for the rest of the conference. But you talk about a tide, a rising tide lifting all boats. You know, basically there's a benefit to all participants here in the Pac-12 when Deion Sanders comes in and the attention is not on the Big Ten conference. It's not on the Big 12. Nobody's talking uh, you know, off season as they always do about the SEC. It's okay for some of the oxygen in the room to be focused on a coach in the conference, even if that coach isn't the coach of your program. If you know what I mean, I think it's good that he's out there. Now I've requested him. I would like to sit down with Deion Sanders and get him on the show. I said I'll come to him. So we'll see if this show is going to go to Boulder, and we can get Coach Prime on the show. I'd love to talk to him do 15 or 20 minutes and see what he's about in the same way that we do with Kyle Whittingham and Kenny Dillingham and Chip Kelly and have done with David Shaw over the years and other coaches. I'm interested in what's going on around this whole conference, as you know. But it's okay, you know, and people always say, like politicians and economists will always say, a rising tide lifts all boats. How about a college football conference? The the tide can be rising, and it, it can be due to Deion Sanders coming into the conference. It can be due to, you know, USC winning a Heisman Trophy and Caleb Williams. It's okay that Oregon State won 10 games in their season. It helps the rest of the conference, raises the visibility and the rankings and the profile of the Pac-12 to beginning of next season when we're going to see five teams ranked in the AP Top 25 poll. People are going to go, hey, Pac-12 is good. They haven't played a game yet. We don't know if they're good, but that's going to be the perception. And so... It's okay, I think, for a perennial, at least in this generation, doormat, Colorado's not been great. Colorado's struggled. But for those of you who are angry that the oxygen is going and the attention is going to Coach Prime, I mean, come on, get over it. This is good for the Pac-12. He hasn't coached a game. They might not win more than four games this season. They've got a tough, they have a brutal schedule. They might get beat up out of the gates. But there's going to be attention and spotlight on Deion Sanders, and that is going to benefit the entire conference. It's good that people are talking about Colorado. And when Colorado, in their very first Pac-12 conference game next season, comes to Autzen Stadium, it'll be Deion Sanders at Autzen Stadium, and you better believe that ESPN, ABC, Fox, whoever wants that game is going to be like, oh, we need to put the Ducks on, and that game needs to kick off at you know noon or 2 o'clock so the whole country can watch Deion Sanders coach his first conference game. It's going to be a phenomenal experience. And, again, back to that you know quote that people trot out, that's a rising tide. It's lifting the boats, or the spotlight will be on Oregon. The spotlight will be on whoever Colorado's playing in the early part of the season. Now, the shine may come off when, you know, when he goes 4-8 and eight in year one. The shine may be off, 
But for now, don't be a hater. Don't just be like, oh, it's so sad that he's getting all the attention, whatever. It was great when Chip Kelly got the attention, whether he got it at Oregon or he got it at UCLA. It was great when Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy for the conference. It was uh, you know, phenomenal for the conference when you know, Utah won the Pac-12 championship game, even though it cost the Pac-12 a chance to get into the playoff. There's a benefit there in that it showed that the rest of this conference was as good as USC, which was a, you know, a, a playoff candidate for most of the season. So I don't get it. And I think a little bit of it is jealousy. Because the traditional powers, USC and Oregon and Washington probably more than others, are probably the fan bases are a little bit hurt that, hey, the talk's not about our guy in the offseason. Not as much talk about Dan Landing right now, and that's okay. Let him fly under the radar a little bit. He had a great recruiting class. It's not the end of the world. Jonathan Smith, he doesn't want the attention. He's happy to be the guy who can walk around going, hey, nobody's, nobody believes in us even though they're going to get votes next season in the preseason conference championship poll. Oregon State's going to be a top-five team in the conference. Nobody's picking them to be a bottom feeder. Some people might even pick them to win the conference. But Jonathan Smith's going to be happy to have people talking about other coaches. That's kind of where he lives. It's the space that he's comfortable in. Meanwhile, uh, Deion Sanders, you know, he knows he's got to make hay right now. He's still recruiting right now. He is trying to shape his program He's trying to retain his coaches. He's trying to find a little more talent because Colorado, there's a good chance at the beginning of the year, gets its teeth kicked in because they're just they're playing a schedule that's brutal. Their non-conference schedule is tough. They might go 0-3. They could be 1-2, 0-3. I can't see them winning more, more than one game in the non-conference. Maybe they beat Colorado State. Maybe they don't. It's a tough game for them. But then they start with Oregon and USC. So there's a really... I mean, there's probably a better chance, far better chance that they're 0-5 than 5-0 and to start the season. And the you know, reality for them is probably like a 1-4 and or a 2-3 and start to the season. And, you know, then good luck the rest of the way. So let them have this time right now. I'm okay with it. I think you should be as well. All right, coming up, we have some parting thoughts. For those of you who want to stick around top of the hour, Peter Sampson and the Pulse is coming up. You got the bald-faced truth. Leave it right here. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. It's been a good show today. I've enjoyed it. Tomorrow on the show, really excited about this. Uh, Dave Wilcox will join us, former University of Oregon uh, football player and Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, he will be on the show to uh, uh, talk about his career, his kids, uh, Pro Bowls, and the Super Bowl. You know, all of that. But uh, uh, the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame is uh, about three days away from announcing in, in its class and letting everybody know who is going in. And Dave Wilcox will join us on tomorrow's program. Um, look, I grew up a Niner fan. I had no idea at like age 10 or 11 how special it was to see my team win a Super Bowl. I just knew that my team had not been very good when I first started following it. When I was like 9, the Niners were 2 and 14. It was dismal. 6 and 10 the next year and then it was 10 and 6 in a Super Bowl and they were in the Pontiac Silverdome against the 
Cincinnati Bengals, and it all happened kind of fast. I had no context for it, and then I was very blessed to have a team that I rooted for that won a whole bunch. I want that for you guys. I want that for kids growing up in the Portland area. I want, the, you know, I don't want kids to have to rely upon the Timbers or the Thorns or the chance that Oregon or Oregon State gets to the college football playoff to have their championships. I, I would love to have young Blazer fans sort of have that experience that their grandparents or parents had with the 1977 team that won a championship. It has been too long. This is a franchise that is overdue. Uh, I also think this market is overdue for an NBA All-Star game. I mentioned I was in Salt Lake City yesterday. They're buzzing. They're buzzing about the All-Star game. They're going to host it. They're excited about it. People at restaurants and hotels are, you know, they're just getting ready. You can kind of feel the anticipation. They're like, you know, I think it's like a week or so away from NBA All-Star Palooza or whatever is happening. But uh, I think it's... uh, it's, you know, people in Salt Lake City are going, hey, this is awesome. I think it's two weeks away, the 19th, Sunday the 19th. But, you know, Team team LeBron, Team Giannis, but the real winner is Utah, which, uh, you know, is getting ready to, you know, showcase their city. There, uh, There is a little bit of apprehension because I kind of think it's funny in a weird way. Like yesterday, I'm in Salt Lake City. It's a Sunday, Okay. There's two things that happen in Utah, in particular Salt Lake City, on a Sunday. You're, people are going to church or people are going skiing. I was going to the basketball game that Utah was playing against Cal, working on a Pac-12 basketball series, and I thought it would be a good chance to catch up with those two teams in one place, and boom, I go there. But the game didn't tip off until 4 o'clock Mountain Time at the Huntsman Center. And I uh, had the morning to kind of burn some time. Now, I like to get out and get around a city when I'm visiting. So here I am on a Sunday. It's in a light snow in Salt Lake City. But I got up and I said, you know what, Uh, I'm going to go downtown. There was nobody downtown. All of the businesses are shut down. Well, I said, well, surely the shopping mall will be open. I drove over. Got a wonderful parking space because the shopping mall was closed. Not open on Sundays. And in fact, I found out, and maybe you're laughing at me if you were from Salt Lake City, that uh, unless you're like a major chain restaurant, you're probably closed on a Sunday. And people said, two things happen in Salt Lake City on a Sunday. You're either church or you're skiing. And that logic is truth. People were skiing or going skiing or going to church. Not a whole lot else going on. Now, the NBA All-Star Game being in Salt Lake City, like there will be private parties, and I'm sure there will be plenty of alcohol, but this isn't Vegas. I want Portland to host an NBA All-Star Game. Paul Allen wanted that. Your city deserves that. Portland needs it more than anything because, just frankly, because of the reputation. And I think Salt Lake City's had some of that problem in their downtown corridor as well as some of the residents there that I talked with at the hotel and then later at the game sort of talked about the downtown area just being completely run down and the homeless situation. And a lot of the, it was very familiar conversation that I was hearing and having with people in Salt Lake City as they are talking about getting ready for their All-Star game. They're a little worried about, you know, hey, will uh, people like the city? Will the NBA players have a good time there? And I could kind of see 
like NBA players who are going to the All-Star game, I could kind of see them going, I made the All-Star game first time, and then looking up going, well, where is it? Salt Lake City. Oh, you know, it ain't. It's not Vegas. And I kind of wonder, like, do you guys think the NBA should look at just putting the All-Star game in Vegas, have it in the same place every year, or do you like that it bounces around in different places? If it's not coming to Portland, I just as soon see it in Vegas every year. I think um, I like the All-Star game bouncing around because, you know, we talked about this last week. Like, I'm not a big All-Star game guy, so I don't think it really necessarily matters to me. But I do think for, like, bigger games or if we're going to go neutral site, I do like the idea of having it at one place every time, whether it is the Super Bowl or even, like, in college football, how we have all the conference championships at one one location. I do like that idea just with the consistency of the game. But – you know, for an event like the All-Star Game, I, I don't mind it moving around. I don't have a problem with it. And I guess, you know, there's some value in the NBA. Uh, the NFL owners are never going to vote to have the Super Bowl held in the same city at all, at all times because they all want it in their city. They know what it's worth, and they know that they can secure stadium improvements and investment and capital expenditures based upon – the potential revenue and the tax revenue that they can bring in. For example, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs can go to their local government agencies and their state agencies and say, hey, if you contribute to improving our home stadium, you know, we can host a, uh, host a big event someday. Now, probably not likely in Kansas City where it's cold, but, you know, San Diego did it, L.A. can do it, uh, you know, Dallas did it with AT&T and Jerry World. Of course, the stadiums in Florida can do it. If you have an indoor stadium, you can get away with it anytime. It was done in Houston at uh, Reliant Stadium back in the day when they first opened it. They helped raise the funds and build that stadium with the promise to with the city of Houston was going to get this event. And the city of Houston said, okay, we will buy into helping you fund this stadium and, and the infrastructure around it because we know we're going to get a Super Bowl in the wash. That's how it happens. That's how Super Bowls are assigned. The NBA All-Star Game is a little bit different in that it's got to work with the hotels. We know that better than most cities. But now with the Convention Center Hotel Project and you know the ability to have two arenas, Memorial Coliseum and Moda Center, I would like to see Portland get an All-Star Game and an All-Star Weekend. I think it's overdue. But you, know, you talk about every February – three-day event, Friday to Sunday. But you look at the history of this event, you know, I'm just looking at some of the recent places. You know, it's going to Indianapolis next year. But Salt Lake City, Cleveland, Atlanta, Chicago, Charlotte had it. The L.A., New Orleans, Toronto, New York, back to New Orleans, Houston, Orlando again, Los Angeles again, uh, Arlington, Texas. That was the one that hurt in 2010 because it went to Cowboy Stadium. And I get what the NBA was doing. They knew they could put a million people in the stadium and sell more tickets. But that hurt because at the time, I think Portland really wanted to have the All-Star game. And it went to a football stadium instead of coming to Portland. Peter Sampson, what would this city, what would an NBA All-Star game mean to this city? I mean, mostly validation. I, You know, there's still that small town mentality a little bit in Portland. And I remember the argument, it was always, oh, hotel space. We don't have the hotel space. Well, I can't tell you in the last 15, 20 years how many hotel rooms have been added to Portland, but it's substantial. We certainly have the room. I was surprised, you know, that it went to Utah. I know that Portland is, uh, the trail 
Trailblazers are looking at uh, making a bid and trying to get in. I'm not sure what they need to do to really get a uh, a legitimate bid that will be taken seriously in, you know, if they're actually really putting forth effort or it's just kind of lip service. But it would be rad, man. It would be so fun to be there. I'm not even a huge all-star guy, but yeah. it would be big for the economy. All the all the bigwigs come in, the celebrities. You're hanging out at Moda for a few days. It would be awesome. Yeah, I think it would do a lot for the city and the reputation of the city. I think what you'd have to do and maybe Adam Silver, uh, we should get him on the show again to talk about this. We had him on years ago. But I think what you could do is, you know, you have the additional hotels that are now the Convention Center Hotel, the new Hyatt Regency there at the Convention Center. I also think, like, this, is, this was used during the Olympics in Athens. You know, they brought in a giant cruise ship with rooms and a bunch of five-star necessities and they anchored it there and had LeBron and Carmelo Anthony and all the players that were on the Dream Team stay on the yacht, I mean, on the cruise ship, so to speak. And it was uh, it provided them sort of the security that they needed that they couldn't get at other hotels. But I think, you know, given that you've got some hotel properties in downtown Portland now that are new and uh, four- and five-star places. I think that's not so much the question. I do think there needs to be improvements to Moda Center. I think there's a couple hundred million dollars in improvements. I kind of wonder if that could be the carrot that they dangle in front of whoever buys the franchise. Because the NBA does this, and they look at, you know, sort of rewarding the cities that are investing. Is it possible that Portland could invest in something, um, you know, that would really blossom and uh, create an all-star game situation. Uh, we'll talk more about this. We'll probably have to get Jim Etzel with Sport Oregon on the show to talk about it as well. Uh, Peter Sampson in the Pulse is coming up top of the hour. Uh, make sure you subscribe to me uh, at John Canzano BFT on Twitter. Follow me there. Subscribe and read me at johnconzano.com. We are back tomorrow. Dave Wilcox, Pro Football Hall of Famer, will be on the show tomorrow. Uh, we'll be talking more about the Super Bowl. We're going to uh, get out to the site there in Arizona and talk to some reporters who are on the scene as well. The bald-faced truth is not here for a long time, just a good time. I appreciate everybody who makes this radio program part of your day. Have a great night and leave it right here for The Pulse and Peter Sampson next.